And now some, uh, some funeral news to report. Uh, yesterday, David Koch of the zillionaire Koch brothers died. Please of prostate cancer. I guess I'm going to have to reevaluate my low opinion of prostate cancer. Uh, he was he was 79, but his family says they wish it could be longer, but at least he lived long enough to see the Amazon catch fire. Condolences poured in from all the politicians he owned. And mourners are being asked, in lieu of flowers, to just leave their car engine running. <laughs> As for his remains, he is asked to be cremated and have his ashes blown into a child's lungs. <laughs> now... I know these seem like harsh words and harsh jokes, and I'm sure I will be condemned for them on Fox News, which will portray Mr. Koch as a principled libertarian who believed in the free market. He and his brother have done more than anybody to fund climate science deniers for decades, so fuck him. The Amazon is burning up. I'm glad he's dead, and I hope the end was painful. All right, what a great show. The man who helped rewrite the modern American political playbook has died. Billionaire conservative donor David Koch, as one half of the Koch brothers, came to symbolize the influence of dark money in America. He was committed to funding conservative causes nationwide, but Koch was perhaps best known as one of the primary donors fueling the Tea Party movement. Joining me, New York Times political reporter Ken Vogel, also author of Big Money, $2.5 billion, One Suspicious Vehicle, and a Pimp on the trail of the ultra-rich hijacking American politics. So, perfect guy to talk about this, Ken. Our own Katie Turr spoke to Jane Mayer, author of Dark Money, about the Cokes for her show, American Swamp, and I want to play just a little bit of that. So who are the Koch brothers? Explain it to me. They are owners of the second largest private company in America. Probably everybody has some product from Coke Industries in their life. Love they make what? everything from Stainmaster Carpet to Dixie Cups to Georgia Pacific Lumber, but they are huge refiners of oil. So you might see an ad, and it's funded by one of those groups, and it has that group's name, but you wouldn't necessarily know that that group had anything to do with David or Charles Koch. Yeah, well, because uh, a lot of the groups have these very bland names, America Future Fund, or um, Americans for Job Security. Who is that really? What you would realize if you go through the paperwork, it was like a daisy chain of money. And if you were able to trace it back, a lot of it would come from this group of 400 of the richest, most conservative people in the country who worked with the Kochs and funded it. So using that as a basis, talk about how significant David Koch's impact has been on American politics. Yeah, he fundamentally changed, he and his brother Charles Koch fundamentally changed the tactics of American politics, including the way that it's funded and uh, the, the, the mechanisms that are used to try to influence public policy as well as elections. Um, they did that by assembling, convening really, this, this network of like-minded donors whose money they collected and then channeled into this vast network of think tanks, advocacy groups, uh, even media outlets that 
the goal was to sort of drive a similar message, that message being uh, an effort to reshape American politics around their small government, civil libertarian and libertarian, uh, even capital L libertarian ideals. Now, it, the, the, it gets more complicated when you try to assess their legacy and David Koch's legacy on those actual policies and politics, because in many ways, Donald Trump is a repudiation of that type of politics mm -hmm. that they pushed. So you, uh, back in 2012, I think, you wrote about David's apostasy when it comes to social issues. Where did his priorities lie when, when his cultural liberalism came into conflict with his fiscal conservatism? Yeah, I mean, David Koch ran for the vice presidency on the libertarian ticket in 1980. And in 1980, a time when uh, nobody was talking about gay marriage, he was very progressive uh, on gay rights and uh, maybe not gay marriage, but gay unions, gay partnerships back then um, uh, in a way that was totally anathema with the Republican Party. And he held on to many of those beliefs that were more libertarian in nature, including not just on social issues, but also when it comes to national security and foreign policy. He and his brother were much more non-interventionist than the Republican Party. Now, that said, he did, he and his brother did find a way to um, sort of uh, look past those differences in pouring a ton of money into groups and candidates that furthered the Republican Party proper, even when the Republican Party and its standard, bear standard bearers were sort of far afield from those libertarian ideals. Ken Vogel, thank you so much. From the defender. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Dix is back. Throws it down to And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 1st of September, year of our Lord, 2019. And I am so sorry for being late. Had a Wednesday one, but the wife had a day off, and then everything got pushed because of projects. Next thing you know, it's Sunday. And we're in September, which is kind of cool. You break it down. Kind of cool. But I apologize. I should have uh, slipped one in, but I just didn't have the time to do it. So uh, from our intro, today we're going to be covering our evil left as usual, because that was Bill Maher, and, you know, Coke died, and... I'm only covering it because, once again, as we've shown on the show over and over again, what the Koch brothers and the NRA do compared to what Planned Parenthood, um, Steyer, and Soros, and all the dark money that comes from the left is, is just night and day. Um, but because we have a complicit media that are all Democrats, what do we hear? We hear the Koch brothers. Uh, we're then going to go into the kind of news roundup, stuff that we missed during this week, some media stuff, and then we're going to head on to news and social media nuggets. But the second part of that was my heartbreaking when I woke up this morning, because once again, we did not do our college football review. We're going to do it first, and then go into our violent left. But my Oregon Ducks, and I even bought the new jersey that I don't even like. I had my dog in a jersey. I tried all sorts of shit to try to change, and maybe they'd be a better team. I used to not pay attention to the game till the second half. This time I waited to the first quarter. Half an hour in the game, I started looking. And we go to halftime with a 14-6 lead that should have been a 28-3 lead. Drop pass in the end zone with the missed field goal right after it. 
a fumble in the red zone. They run it back. Should have been 28-3 to at halftime. But instead, we go 21-6, to never score another point, and lose 27-21 to to the Auburn Tigers. Now, if this all pans out, Auburn's a great team. Well, that was a good loss. They're just better than us. We'll get better, blah, blah, blah. We didn't have our wide receivers. But I think what it shows is what's wrong with Oregon football, which takes us into that really quick. For those that don't want to listen to this, you can just fast forward really quick. It's not going to be long. I'm going to cover the schedules and whine. Oregon signed this up because they want to get big time. But they have the same problem they've had for the last four years. They can whoop the shit out of people. But when they play key games, they fall apart. Last year with Stanford, they go in there, they're kicking their asses all over the field, they give the game away. Same scenario, fumble to a touchdown, 14-point swing, they fall apart. They beat Washington, but then as they go into Washington State, they're you know, a 9-4 and four, what was it, nine and four team, ended up 8-4. and four. This year, there's all this hype. They got a the number one offensive line in the nation that played a half a game last night and then got pushed all over the goddamn field. They have a Heisman quality quarterback that can't win the big games, who stayed for a senior year. But they are the same ducks they've been since Chip Kelly days. When the game counts, Oregon chokes. They talk big time. They got Nike behind them. They got the state-of-the-art facility. They got a great coach who's trying to make us Alabama. If you look at the jerseys, that's what these tried to do. But they're just not big time. When big time games come, they will flash and burn out. It happens every time. They just can't put teams away. And with the schedule they have, Man, we're eight and four again. We got a Nevada team next week that upset. Um, who the hell they upset? I don't remember who they upset, but they upsetted somebody that they weren't supposed to. We're gonna win that probably. Montana, we should win. Then you get into the heart of the schedule. Stanford on the farm. We haven't beat Stanford Stanford since freaking Andrew Luck was the quarterback. A 53-21 to 21 game. That was a long time ago. California, great team at home. Colorado, great team at home. We're going to lose to Washington. We're going to lose to Washington State. There's your four losses. Should probably pick up USC that isn't that good. Arizona got upset. Arizona State's okay. Oregon State. The best we do is 8-4. and four. Yet when we went in the season, everybody's talking about this is it. We're the best team ever. The coach is so great. They're so physical. No, they're not. We may have had the 10th best recruiting class for this season, but they're all freshmen. And you're still stuck with the same bunch of people that don't know how to win games. Justin Herbert can't win a big game. He is the Peyton Manning without the accolades of this generation. He can't win the big game. He's a lot like Aaron Rodgers. His great stats, looks good, 
When it really comes down to it, he's not a leader. He can't get things done. And it's just super depressing. Super depressing. When I went to bed, it was 21 to 6. And I had illusions that I was going to wake up and they were going to win that football game. They can't do it. They're incapable of winning big games. They just can't do it. They don't have the genetics. They don't have the talent. They don't have the mentality. They don't have the coaching. It was the same thing last night. The same thing Chip Kelly did. The same thing Helfrick did. Willie fucking I can't win at Florida State. Taggart did. They can't manage the clock. There's a sequence last night, and I'll move on to the Packers. I'm going to make this brief this year. There was a sequence where they burned two timeouts trying to get a quarterback on the field for the next play. You can't do that. He didn't even know the rules. Then they snapped the ball with 14, 15 seconds left. The reality is, with nine seconds left in the game, 16, if you start when the play was started, that play never should have happened because the time should have been expired. But instead of trying to run the clock because our offense wasn't doing shit, the defense was getting really tired in the second half, we played tempo. We still try to be, we're Oregon, we can do everything. Well, we got stuffed on a fourth and one in the second half. You should have seen, you can't do it. And you milk that fucking clock, and you walk out with the W. 21-20. But instead, we handed the game over. I mean, it's just like anybody who doesn't know much about Oregon football, watch Stanford last year. Whipping their ass, fumble in the red zone, they run it back for a touchdown. That almost happened again last night in the first half. They're the same team. Maybe we should go back to flashy uniforms. At least then we looked good while we were losing. To the Packers. The Packers and the Ducks have something similar. They don't have wide receivers. And we didn't draft any wide receivers. Oregon didn't recruit any wide receivers. We got these quarterbacks with flashy fucking stats that once again don't win big games. All right, Aaron Rodgers has not won big games in a long time. People say, oh, it's Aaron Rodgers. He's a legend. He was a legend. He's been injured. He's been a social media magnet. He's more concerned about dissing the flag than he is winning football games. And he doesn't want to throw the ball and tight windows because he's too worried about his legacy on stats. You know, a lot of people hated Brett Favre because he just was a gunslinger, tossed it up there, all those interceptions. It was fucking horrible. Well, let's be honest. Favre won big games. He won them. He gutted out games. He got teams to do shit. Teams that were half as freaking talented as Aaron Rodgers had. He won games, went to the playoffs. Did shit. Aaron Rodgers doesn't. And then we gave up Cobb. We gave up Jordy Nelson. Granted, Jordy Nelson retired and Cobb's on the on the Packers or on the Cowboys. Um because we thought they're behind the prime. And then we didn't replace him. So you got a number one receiver and Devontae Adams and a bunch of scrubs. We pick up a bunch of defensive people supposed to have this great defense, which we'll find out because we haven't seen them play because we didn't play anybody in the fucking preseason. 
And then we have a schedule that's not that easy. We start with the Bears. It'll be a loss. Broncos probably win. Cowboys lose. That's two losses, folks. Raiders. Man, I don't know. I really don't know if we're. I don't know if we're gonna beat the fucking the Raiders. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I read this wrong. So it's Bears, Vikings. That's two losses. Broncos, Eagles. I'll give us two wins. Cowboys loss. Lions. Shit. I don't know. We didn't beat them once last year. I'll give them a win. So now we're batting one, two, three losses. Raiders, I'll say yes. Chiefs, loss, four. Chargers, loss, five. Um, Panthers, I think we can win. Giants, we can win. 49ers, we can win. Redskins, second. Bears, loss, six. Second, Viking, seven. And I'll say we're going to beat the Lions. Nine and seven. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. Because we don't have an offense anymore. I mean, the funniest thing about the Ducks, because I tie these together because they're, the they're a mirror. There's a pro team and a college team. And they're a mirror of each other. Is the number one receiver that we had last year on the Oregon Ducks decided to go in the pros and he just got cut by the Minnesota Vikings. So if he was in the game last night, we win that game. And I guarantee when it's all said and done, if we still had Randall Cobb, old number 18, we'd win some of these games. Because we'd have a reliable number two. But we don't. In Oregon, because I'm tying them together once again, not trying to get confusing, you have running back by committee, Packers, running back by committee, Oregon, great offensive line, Packers, great offensive line that just doesn't get it done. It's just depressing. My football prospects, and I shouldn't bitch because we went on these great runs with Oregon and great runs with the Packers where I could just eat crow all day. I didn't have to eat crow. I was so happy. They were winning games. Hell, we freaking went to the BCS and Packers were in the playoffs every year and then it just all fell to fucking shit. But when you watch the same things on both teams and they're the same fuck-ups, the same lack of coaching, same lack of recruiting, same lack of, okay, I'm a fan and I can see what you need, but you don't go get it. It's really frustrating. Last night, the Oregon Ducks played a bunch of freshmen at wide receiver. Now, granted, number 18 did the Randy Moss thing and slammed a guy on the ground. It was pretty fucking badass. That was a great touchdown. But there were drops and end zones. There were all these fuck-ups. Same thing happened to the Packers. You watch the preseason, a bunch of inexperienced people. And when you only have one go-to, you can't win football games. Because eventually they double-team that person, and you're done. If you can man up on the twos and threes, you're not going to win a football game. So that's my football preview. It's brief, and it's whiny because of a game I knew we were going to lose. I just knew we were going to lose. I knew the Ducks were not what everybody was saying they were. 
BC, you know, national title, going to go to the Natty. No, no, you're not. You're not going to the national championship. You're an 8-4 and four team. You'll forever be an 8-4 and four team. And as much as I love the co- coach for the Ducks, Mario Cristobal, Oregon will never be Alabama. You can't get the talent that Alabama does to play Smash Mouth football. We're not in the SEC. We can't be the SEC. It's not going to happen. And Packers, <clears throat> you can't keep thinking you're going to win a fucking football game just because you have Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is too busy working on his fucking social media campaigns and fucking worrying about his goddamn stats. I read a long article a couple months ago from a guy, and, and I really agree with what he said. If the Packers want to win football games, they're going to have to trade number 12 and get a bunch of talent for it and start from scratch. It'd be better to have a rounded football team and an average quarterback than to have a legend quarterback and an average football team. Because one player don't win games. So, that's my whining. I feel a lot better. Let's go to our violent left section. Where, uh, yeah, it just wasn't Mar and MSDNC dogging Coke. It was a bunch of people. Police don't win. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. And beaten with a brick in a Brooklyn park. And as police search for the suspect, CBS 2's Jenna DeAngelis spoke to the victim who took her back to the scene of this vicious attack. They attacked me over here. There was the, there was the battlefield. Abraham Gobin walks CBS2 through a field at Lincoln Terrace Park where he was left bloody and bruised Tuesday morning after being brutally assaulted. While the NYPD searches for his attacker, believed to be this man, Gobin's mission returning here. It's overcome the, the experience. It's overcome in the... And to go out uh, stronger. Gopin pointed out the injuries that landed him in the hospital, from staples on his head to bruises on his face. He knocked me out two teeth. The nose is broken. The pain the stranger put him in after attacking the 63-year-old while he was exercising at the park. Do you have any idea why he was coming after you specifically? Who's a hate? He said, Jew, Jew. It is said something in that direction. According to the NYPD, as of this week, there have been 145 anti-Semitic hate crime complaints in New York City so far this year. That's up from 88 complaints in the same time last year. We put out a video of the assailant. We have some reports that uh, days leading up to that, uh, the individual was in that park. If anyone knows or has seen this individual in that park or in the area, please call Crime Stoppers. Gopin says he's just grateful he left the park alive. How are you feeling? I had a big, I had a miracle from God. 
Gopin is a father of 10 and a grandfather and comes to this park with his family all the time. He says he'll continue to do so because he refuses to live in fear. In Crown Heights, Brooklyn, Jenna DeAngelis, CBS 2 News. The NYPD Hate Crimes Task Force is leading this investigation. The Anti-Defamation League is offering a reward of up to $5,000 for information leading to an arrest. Yeah, the roles were reversed on that story you just heard. That would be national news. But once again, an anti-Semitic attack that keeps happening, by the way, in New York. And nobody knows about it. Because our media and Democrats... Don't talk about real anti-Semitism, because if they did, they'd have to freaking point out their own anti-Semitism. But this week, we had all sorts of people gleeful over David Koch's grave. Article is, good, good riddance, evil suck of ass. Celebs gleefully dance on David Koch's grave. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Seems to be part of the progressive commute playlist this morning as news of death of the political donor boogeyman David Koch reverberated around the internet. Several left-wing celebs jumped to Twitter to celebrate the billionaire philanthropist's death as he was a major donor of the Republican Party. Too bad the man was probably one of the less better friends across enemy lines for support of abortion, same-sex marriage, and uh, opposition to Trump. But dance away on the grave, dummies. Author of A Child's First Book of Trump and comedian Michael Ian Black began his morning mocking Mr. Koch's death with some pointed lines about the gentleman's political donation. He tweeted, in lieu of flowers, the family of David Koch requests that mourners simply purchase a Republican politician. He also made some snide remarks to Daily Wire founder Ben Shapiro tweet lamenting the hate Coke was receiving in death. Shapiro called it a perfect example of how poisonous our politics have become, and Black jumped right in to prove it. He tweeted, personally, I have a tear in my eye, though that might just be smoke irritation from the Amazon rainforest burning because of the fucker's climate denialism. Remember, kids, if you're not posting pictures of yourself crying about the rainforest, can you even claim to be a compassionate person? I have a whole bunch of that in our college crazy today. Star Trek legend Takaki went there, too, though he played it less tongue-in-cheek. Takaki tweeted about Coke's legacy and wealth being meaningless, writing, You have all the money, but it, not, it cannot change the ending. Do good in the world with your time here on it. That is all I will say. Though he did add a mocking oh and thoughts and prayers at the end, because he's a fucking piece of shit. Except Coke actually did more good than you you ever will. He pledged one point three billion to cancer research, the Metropolitan Museum of Art and Smithsonian, MIT Cancer Research Facility is named the Coke Institute for Integrative Cancer Research. Other major recipients include John Hopkins, Stanford University, Mount Sinai, Hospital for Sur- Special Surgery. Coke also contributed to the United Negro College Fund, which helped many African Americans go to college. Stand-up comic writer for our favorite late-night host, Samantha B. Mike Drucker, paid his little contribution to the Shoyden fraud. His first tweet likened Coke to Lex Luthor. Sad to see David Coke die before realizing his life goal to kill Superman. Very clever. He then tweeted, first Epstein dies, then Coke. This is the first time I've ever... Super psyched for the Rule Threes. Comic book and metal album cover artist Rob Sheridan added it on his own dark charm. Good riddance, Coke. You absolutely evil sack of ass. I hope you suffered. 
in response to popular YouTube creator Joey Salad's rebuke of the insane rhetoric, Sheridan got apocalyptic with it, tweeting, Hope your grandchildren enjoy the scorching, ravaged hellscape of Earth that the Koch brothers helped create by funding climate denial for pure personal greed. And lastly, Hellboy actor Ron Perlman offered a charming little book in. The tough guy tweeted, wishing the Koch brothers a speedy reunion. Other ones. My partner just yelled, David Koch is dead from the other end of the apartment like someone announcing Santa has just come and straight up left a dead fascist in her stocking. Another one. His legacy of destroying the environment, fostering income inequality, and then manipulating our democratic process to favor minority rule will live on for a long time. Democratic politician. Good riddance, Coke. You spent a lifetime making the world uglier and perverting our democratic process. The world feels a smite lighter without you. In the end, you can't take a red cent of your money with you. You will face your maker standing on the impact you made. I pity you. Bet Midler. I tweeted that Charles Coke had died instead of David Coke is dead. I'm sorry to give others false hope. Guess it was just wishful thinking as we watched the Amazon rainforest burning. All the global warming culprits are foremost in one's mind. Another tweet. With all due respect, Mrs. James, fuck you. A friend of liberty. Yes, his own and his family's. The rest of us could drink leaded water and burn in the climate change he produced. And it was the New York ballet he endowed, not American ballet. But this is how... It's always been. Nasty New York Times has history of lashing out a Coke. Uh, let's get to the point of it. Okay. Friday, by posting an obituary by Robert McFadden, David Coke, an industrialist who fueled right-wing movement, dies at 79, a man about town philanthropist. He and his brother Charles ran a business, Colossus, which furthered a libertarian agenda that reshaped American politics. The paper has long had a virulent hostility to the Coke libertarian activism often lazily termed conservative by the paper as an additional insult. The paper front page had previously framed Koch's finance high-tech war against transit, targeting voter data to kill buses and rail, while another front page story by the same reporter, Heroku Tabuchi, slammed the Koch's as a racist for the crime of reaching out to black citizens on energy issues. McFadden's obituary for Koch is not as awful, but still marred by bad faith and bad labeling. He had a history of hostile bits for conservatives while showing reverence for liberal th- figures. Coke who joined his brother Charles in business and political ventures that grew in the nation's second largest private company in a powerful right-wing libertarian movement. Money-fueled brand of libertarianism helped give rise to the Tea Party movement, strengthening the far-right wing of the resurgent Republican Party. And for years, he and Charles faced and denied accusations about exploiting libertarian principles for self-serving purposes. They insisted that they adhered to a traditional belief in liberty of the individual and in free trade, free market, and freedom from what they call government intrusion, including taxes, military drafts, etc., etc. Transform a fringe movement into formidable political force to end up moving America to the far right by influencing the outcome of elections, undoing limits on campaign contributions, and promoting conservative candidacy, think tanks, and policy. Coke Money also funded initiatives to undercut climate science to the counter-efforts to address climate change. As Miss Mayer put it in her book, the Kochs vehemently opposed the government taking any action on climate change that would hurt their fossil fuel 
prophets. They never do this for a liberal. It doesn't matter how bad the liberal is. You never have blah, 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 piece of shit dies. They just don't do it. Greg Gutfeld. So Bill Maher said he's glad David Koch died and his audience applauded evidence of needy, phony, and gleeful mob uniting. Koch was a generous libertarian whose millions went to fight disease. He did more for the world in a day than Maher will do in his lifetime. Celebrating a man's death while fighting to abolish the death penalty is a bad look for Democrats and humans. He's spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Just spot the fuck on. Alyssa Milano said, hey, it's probably not looking good for us. Same kind of tweet. Wow, her finger-wanging to left is getting old. It's always over stupid shit. You know what, Alyssa? We're all doing the damn best we can to get through this awful period in history. What I'd really love is for everyone to stop telling me, Mim, Mim, how to feel and react to everything. I adore you and I respect you, but you aren't perfect either. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't see the connection. Taking some pleasure at the natural passing of a truly horrible person isn't really the same as objecting to the state killing someone for a crime. In a world that's bad, can we really afford to worry about our look anymore? And it goes on and on. She got attacked. Because the left was all in. I mean, this goes on for like 30. Dude's action, climate change, will result in the deaths of species. Oh, really? His actions. His actions. But this is what the DNC is doing right now. They got their rabid base and Antifa telling them you need to be meaner. So at a summer conference, this is the DNC meeting, Speaker Nancy Pelosi predicts 2020 will be a tough election. You have to be ready to take a punch, he says, and therefore you have to be ready to throw a punch for the children. And not a single media figure said, well, that's inciting. You, you shouldn't do it. That's really insightful. Are we inciting violence with our rhetoric? I mean, Trump has made people mass shooting. He even made a Democrat kill Republicans, so they say. But saying you can punch people, uh, when they bring a knife, we bring a gun, Obama. Uh, there's no recourse. There's nothing wrong with that. But it wasn't just the Cokes. Former Canadian Prime Minister, I hope deadly hurricane destroys Trump's home. Yeah, this is this is okay in our, our rhetoric. On Thursday, the only woman to ever serve as Prime Minister of Canada issued a horrifying tweet in which she stated she wanted the deadly Hurricane Dorian to strike President Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, Florida. In response to a tweet from a scientist warning that Dorian was a major hurricane threat to the East Coast this weekend and that Florida was in the hurricane crosshairs, Kim Campbell tweeted, I'm rooting for a direct hit of Mar-a-Lago. Fox News reported on Thursday, this strengthening storm, blah, 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 who gives a fuck. When someone pointed out to the unrepellent Campbell, what the heck is wrong with you? There are real people who live and work there. Campbell snapped back, get a grip. As there are in Puerto Rico, sorry you don't get snark, but Trump indifference to suffering is intolerable. We also help if he tackled climate change, which is making hurricanes more destructive. Instead, he will remove limits on methane. Get a grip. I'm not going to read any more of this article. This is this is the way they are. This is this is the way they are. People actually ended up. I'm sorry. This is not Canada. Actor fires back, hoping others, because there's more than just her, that the Dorian will destroy Trump's Florida home. 
Um, as the exact okay, fuck this. It's going to hit very hard. I'm trying to get to it. Actor Alan Covert, who has starred in and written several movies with Adam Sandler, including Happy Gilmore and Anger Management, took aim at all those haters. My family lives about 10 miles from Mar a Lago, so all you people cheering the fact that Dorian might swipe it out can hardly, can kindly go fuck yourselves. You've sunk so low in your hatred that you have become worse than what you hate. Is that not true? Have they not? Others. One thing is evident from the comments, anti-Trumpers are not the kind, loving, wonderful people they pretend to be. If there's any question as how vile, violent, and intolerant the left is, simply read the tweets. It will tell you exactly who they are. And Brian E. Reed was the Canadian one. On behalf of Canada, I'd like to apologize to all American brothers and sisters for their marks of our once and very brief PM, Kim Campbell. She was useless then, and now she's less than that. Wishing Hurricane Dorian to hit Mar-a-Lago. She's just an ass. She doesn't represent Canada. But other Canadians were on board. Eric McCormick. Hey, kindly report on everyone attending this event so the rest of us can be clear about what we don't want to work with. And this is because they tweeted a fundraiser for Trump. So McCormick, who was an actor on Travelers, one of my favorite shows that got canceled, well, he also is on Will and Grace. So Deborah Messing, please print a list of all attendees, please. The public has a right to know. And Greg Gutfeld was on it. You want to know why anyone in Hollywood who thinks for themselves has to keep their mouth shut and their heads down? Like Joe McCarthy, Eric sees ruining a career as a viable method to encourage lockstep. Be like me, or you're finished. Stephen Miller, not the first time in history people who worked in Hollywood were asked to be reported for their political associations and private gathering. Then to Messing, what's the difference between Joe McCarthy and Deborah Messing? One organized a witch hunt against law-abiding people with dissenting opinion. The other was a senator from Wisconsin. (laughs) Spot on. So basically, they have been doxing everybody that donates to Trump. Well, now there's going to be a Hollywood one, so they want to dox those people. But we're worried about fascism, aren't we? Isn't that what they say? Fascism? Trump's a fascist. His supporters are fascist racist. It's fascism. That's what we're scared about. Fascism. And then they act like fascists. Why do you give a fuck who somebody donates to? I mean, I could sit here all day and break down how little the Koch brothers have given compared to Soros, Steyer, Hollywood to Democrats. Oh, by the way, China under the Clintons. I've already laid out how little the NRA gives in money. $10 million each cycle, yet Planned Parenthood gets $550 million of her own money, donates $50 million of it just to certain special elections. We have proof on the show, $30 million just in the elections where that piece of shit Abrams lost. 30 million. The dark money is such a joke. It's always deflection with the left. 
everybody's a fascist, while we act like a fascist, dark money's horrible, while we take dark money, it's just a fucking joke. Then we got Women's March. Uh, this is a bit of a, I'm trying to get to this. I can't remember the, how anti-Semitism was baked in the Women's March from all very first meeting of the organization. Then other media outlets finally stepped up and followed up. It got so bad that even Alyssa Milano and SPLC said she, the Women's March was too toxic. Uh, check out this bit of problematic hand-wringing from LA Times back in January as the 2019 March was gearing up. Can you admire an anti-Semite and advance the cause of women? Maybe so. Life is full of contradictions. We read that on the story. Life is also full of ironies, such as the Women's March asking followers on Twitter to share their personal stories of confronting racist family members. And if you're a progressive activist who wears a pussy hat, chances are you consider everyone in your family a racist. This is their tweet. Have you ever confronted your racist family members? It's difficult, but critical work. Share your story in this thread. I tried to sell my white privilege, but nobody would give me enough to spring for two custom wheels for the Harley. Bubba check. <laughs> I'm being put it off, but I finally confronted my dog for being a fascist. He in, he's intolerant to strangers trying to enter the house. All they got was bullshit back. People were laughing. But there you go again. Now it's election season. It is your job to attack your family and everybody. Watch Mark my words, friends. Once January starts, I am going to have nothing but a plethora of stories of people getting beaten, attacked, doxxed, assaulted, verbally assaulted, fired for jobs as the left gears up for this election. They know they can't win it on their merits. Every policy they have, nobody wants except for their base. And that base is about 20% of the crazy fucking country. Majority of them, 5% of the violent part of the country. They can't win on those ideas. So they have to scare everybody, and they have to dissuade people from doing any donations to other parties. Because they know money wins election. I mean... Jesus Christ, we played the anti-Semitic in New York, and while the media is not covering this, Palestinian terrorists murdered Jewish teenager Rashida Tlaib rushes to blame Israel's occupation. This happened this week. Nobody cared. Representative Tlaib suggested Friday that Israel occupation was to blame after a Palestinian terrorist murdered a 17-year-old Jewish girl hiking with her family in the West Bank. The girl, Rena Shanurb, was killed when an improvised explosive device detonated a popular tourist site outside the West Bank settlement of Delov. Shanurb was pronounced dead at the scene while her father and brother sustained life-threatening injuries and were airlifted out of the area. According to the military, it remains unclear whether the charge was hidden at the side of the explosion or thrown at the family that was hiking there. The Army has ruled out the possibility the charge was hurled out of a moving vehicle and said it appeared the device was homemade. Defense forces said the explosive device that was used was large, forceful, and required advanced knowledge and skills to assemble. It wasn't immediately clear who exactly carried out the brutal attack, but a Moss Pullet Bureau chief in Mile Hanya commented, Commended whoever did calling the action heroic. What did Talib say? 
Talib said her heart goes out to the Rena family that immediately turned to seemingly blame the attack on Israel's occupation. Talib was heavily criticized over her response. One person replied, this is vile. Have you no shame? How dare you blame the murder of this beautiful teenage Israeli girl on the occupation? Can you not just blame the Palestinian terrorists that took her young life? This only underscores Israel was right to deny you entry. Another, you actually blame the victim here. You are a vicious, unethical monster. Was that ever in the media? Did you hear about it? No, nobody carried it. Simultaneous, FEC is filing against Omar because not only did she fuck around on her husband, which was her brother, she gave money to him. That didn't make the paper this week, nor did this. Yashir Ali, this has been brewing for a while. My husband dumped me for Ilian Omar, mom said in divorce filing. A Washington, D.C. mom says her political consultant husband left her for Rep- Representative Omar, according to a bombshell divorce filing obtained by the Post. Dr. Beth Jordan Minnett said her cheating spouse, Tim Minnett, told her in April that he had been having an affair with a Somali-born U.S. representative and that he was even made a shocking declaration of love for the Minnesota congresswoman before he ditched her. The physician, 55, and a 30-year-old husband who was working for lefty Democrats such as Omar and her Minnesota predecessor, Keith Ellison, have a 13-year-old son. The parties physically separated on or about April 7th when defendant told plaintiff that he was romantically involved with and in love with another woman, Ilian Omar, court papers say. From that court proceeding, as I stated, ethics complaint filed against Ilian Omar campaign contending that the travel expense payments to Tim Myatt East Street Group LLC firm constitute illegal personal use of campaign funds in violation of FEC ruling. Now remember, we reported that, but we didn't know they were romantically involved. They just knew that they had given money to a person. Did you hear that? Did you hear any of that? No. No, you didn't hear it. Two anti-Semites. But the media carried with glee everything I talked to you about. Dog and Coke. Doing pieces of horrible cocus. New York Times doing horrible shit about the Coke brothers. Ignoring Pam Keith. Literally saying, I hope it destroys Mar-a-Lago. Ignoring... Wanting to dox people for donating to Trump. We have an upside down media, folks. It's broken on so many fucking levels. Starting my show on sports, it's sometimes I'm wondering if I'm watching ESPN when I'm watching CNN. Because ESPN is so biased towards the SEC. (laughs) If you're not an SEC fan, you can see this. If you're an SEC fan, you don't know what I'm talking about. Because you're like, oh, it's just normal. We're great. Because our media is part of the DNC. Entrenched. It's fucking criminal. And that'll be our next section after music break. This is the sound, uh, the theme. Sorry, not the sound bite. The theme for the show Trapped. If you have Amazon, they have a lot of these foreign shows. And me and the wife watched Trapped. Trapped is a Icelandic show. It's really good. 
And unlike Netflix, Amazon doesn't update you if you got new fucking seasons. So the new season two of Trap came out, and we're watching it. We're about to finish it because it's only a 10 episode season. Got that in the lighter fare, too. There's another one they have with, say, uh, well, I don't even fucking know what it is. I think it's Swedish or Nordic or some sh- It was fucking hilarious. It's called New Texas, but it's not spelled New Texas. It's there, N-E-U, N-U-E-W, Texas. Uh, it's a comedy, which all these are subtitled. But if you don't mind reading, Trapped is a fantastic show, and we'll play a soundbite from New Texas of some of these foreign shows, because let's be honest, American TV is just all gay and social justice warrioring, so I really don't want to watch it half the time, and none of the new shows are worth a fuck, because it's always about all the social justice warrior shit, race, and they got a new cop show coming out, look really good, oh no, it's about cops are dirty, and everybody's racist, so I'm not watching that one, Um, but I will be also, for the next podcast, ABC's got this Sunday, which is today, yeah, I don't even know what day it is because I'm behind on my podcast. This Sunday, they have their preview of the new season. I'm going to watch it, and then I'm going to mock it in our college crazy for the next podcast. So let's listen to Trapped. On the other side, we're going to come in to our media hit, some CNN, some MSDNC. Oh, yeah, good stuff. See you then. at the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed come fly with me let's fly let's fly away if you can use some exotic booze there's a bar in far bombay come on and fly with me let's fly let's fly away time now for the ridiculous tonight let there be no doubt that Big, shiny, elegant, gold-plated opportunities, gorgeous opportunities await those who deceive the country on behalf of President Trump. That's right, the latest White House alumnus to try to salvage something of a career 
is Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Now, where can you go after lying repeatedly, daily, hourly? I don't know about hourly, but often. Sarah Sanders announced today she's boarding Judge Jeanine Pirro's trolley to hell. And joining, try to contain your shock, Fox News as a contributor. That's right, Sanders, she brings a wide range of skills to her new post. Oh, that's right, she's a double threat. She goes from stonewalling all the way to lying. But Sarah Sanders, anyway, ready to bring her looking glass over to Fox News, ready to make some magic with all the president's friends. You know his list, the really big stars, Lou, Dobbs, Hannity, Grumpy, Sneezy, those guys. Sanders' announcement came just a day after we learned that her predecessor, Sean Spicer, who might be the first Three Stooges stunt double ever to become press secretary. I haven't gotten confirmation on that. It's just kind of, it's floating out. People are talking, as the president will say. People have said that. A lot of people are talking about it. You know it, they know it. Uh, Sean Spicer is going to be in the new season of Dancing with the Stars. Oh, yeah. One, two, cha-cha-cha, brace yourselves, cha-cha. You know, one of the things I love about the media is their lack of self-awareness. I mean, that's Anderson Cooper just freaking out about Spicer getting on Dancing with the Stars and, you know, Fox bringing on Sanders. When his own network, CNN rewards disgraced FBI leaker Andrew McCabe with contributor give. Yeah. So now you have Don Lemon, Chris Cuomo, April Ryan, all faces scandals for the behavior off camera. Network firing two of its few remaining conservative commentators. Oliver Darcy announced Friday morning the network has hired FBI Direct, Deputy Director Andrew McCabe as a contributor. McCabe, as you remember, was fired by the FBI for leaking. Here's the problem. He's also going to be indicted, but they hired him. Brandon Scarrow, Brian Seltzer cried and complained about people lying, and then CNN hires a man who lied as a deputy director of the FBI. Way to go. McCabe made his debut on CNN's New Day Friday morning, where co-host Allison Camerata quickly noted that McCabe had been fired by the FBI two weeks before receiving his pension. It's because of Trump. Brian Seltzer. Wrote this about Spicer and ABC last night. Now it applies to Sanders and Fox 2. How should ex-White House officials be treated when they spend months misleading the public then seek positions of fame and privilege? This article, McCabe seems like just the kind of beacon of integrity CNN is famous for giving fame and privilege to. Michael Avenatti, remember him? Hello, Lanny Davis. Not to mention, if Seltzer is going to complain about ex-White House officials going into the media, maybe he should call on his own network hiring a former Obama missiles officials, Scudo, Kirby, Clapper, Axelrod, Dan Bondingo. Conspiracy Theory TV, CNN hiring Andy McCabe, isn't unusual at all. It's not like they have any credibility to lose. It's a fictional channel, and McCabe was one of the authors of the collusion fiction fairy tale. They needed someone willing to lie, and he jumped in. Yeah. So it brings us to our soundbite for CNN. On their airwaves, Seltzer guessed Trump has killed more people than Mao and a bunch of other dictators. Cuomo, his mouth is a danger to America. Ryan and Seltzer, it's okay in the Trump era to attack journalists because it's just horrible. And then she, somehow this week, he said something about nuking a hurricane, which is dumb as fuck to say out loud. She says it's because of race. Yeah, 
So nuking a hurricane is racist because a hurricane's a person of color. I don't even know where you get that shit. And then, once again, Seltzer, the media is too soft on Trump. And I, and I have to hold on. Please don't interrupt me. I, I have to. I have to agree with Simone here. I think you know this president. One of the things that he really launched his presidential run on is talking about Islamic radical, radicalization, and this president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. I mean, the way he talks, the way he, the way he. That is. That just. It's. It's. The way he. T- that's the way the way that he uh, allows these people, the way he winks and nods to these groups, the way he says, I know I'm not supposed to say it, but I'm a nationalist, the way that he hems and haws when he has to uh, condemn these people and kind of th- gritting his teeth kind of says, fine, okay, I condemn this, but then, you know, and Jake, all this... Jake, for, for, no, for you not to push back on that... You're about to push back on but, but to That's bring responsible. Responsible. For her to say that the President of the United States has radicalized more people than ISIS is irresponsible. Yeah, okay, not, you disagree yeah, with them, bringing you and Mona irresponsible. Irresponsible, because it's not true. It's fact, uh, not true. You can, based upon what? How many, how many, how many camps have you gone into and interrogated ISIS... Folks, have you, do you know? ISIS, what do you base it upon? What do you base ISIS it upon? ISIS had a, like 10,000 members. I think the president has far more supporters who espouse an equally hateful ideology that Julia, you're, 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 you're and and, and Simone, and Simone, listen, and Jake, you raised this on TV the other day. Yeah. You raised this yesterday. When Louis Farrakhan sat next to Bill Clinton the other day, where was the outrage? Where was the outrage of the Jewish Bill community? Is not where was the, the outrage? The, outrage? the president's mouth is a threat to this country. Comparing the Fed chief to the ruler of China, a man who has eliminated term limits for his presidency, his country systematically oppresses millions of Muslims, he carries out detention and torture, TV and the Internet are censored, critics are arrested, and this president is going to so easily equate him with a guy who just won't raise rates enough, a public servant in the United States? The sick part is why he's doing this. It's just because both these men represent what he doesn't want. They won't do what he wants. He literally doesn't care that one is an oppressive autocrat because he consistently is not bothered by despots and can't stop talking like one himself. Now, I get why just his run in his mouth this way might be excused by some of you because you got low, low expectations of politics. And you'll say, I just look at what he does. That's all I care. I don't like his style. But here's my argument. His foul mouth is just the stench of a real wound. So he announces more tariffs on top of China's tariffs. See, that's more pain for the American consumer. And it is not better leverage for him to get this deal done. I know they're telling you that. Ask him for proof. It's definitely more pain for your 401k because the Dow is going to tank because the street doesn't like it. Down more than 600 points today. Why, if it's such a strong move, why don't they like it? Why don't the farmers like it? Why don't the manufacturers like it? He doesn't just run his mouth about a fake brown menace. He pushes to put kids in cages, to round up migrants working illegally, but not their employers like him, even though the employers break the law just as much as people who enter illegally, just as he broke the law at his clubs and still does. He wants to remove a constitutional protection of birthright citizenship. How's that preserving the Constitution? He wants to end the promise of taking the tired and poor. His people literally say to your face, that poem, the new Colossus on the Statue of Liberty, it's just words. It's not policy. 
Thank God the generations that built this country, those that came freely, didn't know that. They weren't told that or else a lot of us wouldn't be here. He doesn't just talk about Islam being evil. He acts on it. He doesn't want them to come in. He tries to ban them. He doesn't just soft pedal an objection to white supremacy. He refuses to call their murdering ways terrorism. I mean, this is this is so ridiculous. I keep wanting you all to wake me up and tell me this was a very long, terrible, bad dream, but it's real. It's a real thing. And that's it's news. Okay. But he's nuking. But, but, he wants the new hurricane coming off the coast of Africa. This okay? actually worked before, guys. And we do need to recognize that. In what what part? It was Sharknado. In Sharknado. Oh, jeez. Oh, well, that, those are his facts. Oh, that's that's true. Facts. <laughs> this is taken from Sharknado, and I do want you to know. And you know what? Well, the sad part is it's probably it's Well, probably this true. was an idea that was floated during the Eisenhower administration in the 1950s. We've where learned President a lot Trump more. Trump gets a lot of his <laughs> ideas about when, you know, when America was mm. sort of at its best, basically. Yes. Here's what Axios Maybe is reporting. And, and by the way, this, you know, he's denying it, but this is what was recorded in the National mm-hmm. Security. Security Council memorandum that recorded <laughs> the comments. When Which they means that might be factually yeah. based. Uh, uh, in, in real time. Yeah. Here's what Axios is reporting. During one hurricane briefing at the White House, Trump said, I got it, I got it. Why don't we nuke them? <laughs> According to the source who was there. They start forming off the coast of Africa. As they move Ooh, across no. the I Atlantic, we drop a bomb inside the eye of the hurricane and it disrupts it. Why can't we do that? The source paraphrased the president's remarks that, as we said, were... I mean, uh, listen, it worked so, in Sharknado. He wants to give it an opportunity, give it a chance. It, it's not science based. This all ties into what we were talking about in the earlier segment. We have a, a, the leader of the free world who does not believe in science. Stop so, but, 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 Stop but, but let me him say that. this. I know Stop we're tongue in cheek. Call him something else. We're tongue in cheeking this, but this is the president of the United States saying something about that. And he brought in Africa as Angela, as we were talking during break, he's called Africa a shithole nation. Um, it's well, actually a country, some of the, some of the countries. Yeah. Africa is a continent. And what part of Africa? Are you talking about sub-Saharan Africa where there are mostly black people? This is just crazy. There is a ripple effect that could happen for land, sea, for people if he did something like this. For this man to think this, this is the leader of the free world. There That's should be some... Well, he's the president of the he's United States, Angela. He is the per- He is the person who anything he does and says impacts People impacts the globe. Until we don't let it. Ryan has been silent about this incident that took place on August 3rd when she was giving a speech here in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Ryan was there with a bodyguard. You just saw him walk through the frame. An unfortunate reflection of the fact that she's faced death threats for speaking out in the Trump age. This is not about suppressing the press. My body of work stands for me. And no, I did not order anyone to do anything. At that moment, what you saw was my then bodyguard who was concerned with my safety, come to me and say, stop talking. They were about 100 feet away from me. I didn't know what was going on or what was said. I was on the stage at the time. Do you regret that the bodyguard put his hands on this reporter? To me, that's completely inappropriate. Well, again, um, my former uh, contracted security personnel um, thought, I guess, I suspect, was concerned for my safety. So maybe he just um, overreacted. Are you saying he just overreacted? Yes. And you have spoken in the past about facing death threats more than yes. one. Can you tell us if you know anything more about that? Because I know that's sensitive. It's a very sensitive situation. Um, I do receive death threats. I continue to receive death threats. 
the uh, atmosphere around me is charged. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I assume he may have overreacted because he was concerned for my safety. But um, it doesn't make you feel good <laughs> to get a death threat and have to send it to the FBI and local authorities. As long as this atmosphere continues, Brian, I'm going to have to have a bodyguard. Uh, but the protocol uh, is that the bodyguard is supposed to be with me. And that was not protocol. Oh, you mean um, because he left? Because he left to go allegedly assault the, can- the, the journalist. You're saying he didn't follow the protocol. See, I didn't know what was going on at the time. Right, and you weren't in the room when he did that at the, at the, at the hotel in lobby. The room. I, was, I was speaking. So, and, and at the very least, um, for those real journalists who are uh, saying the things that they're saying, I would hope that there may be a correction uh, for the error that, um, you know, some of the things have been said. Hey, isn't it concerning, though, that you're out there speaking privately? That you're, you know, I remember when I was giving a speech at a college and a couple InfoWars reporters showed up and they were asking me mm-hmm. a bunch of questions. I just thought the best thing to do was just to talk to them rather than try to ignore them or swat away their camera, because that's not our job. Our job is not to stop people from asking questions. It's right, to help them right. ask questions. Right. And see, that's the issue. Um, if someone asked for permission, I would have granted it. But yeah. sometimes your words are twisted by people who don't necessarily understand you or what you're saying or who have an agenda. And that kind of thing can charge the atmosphere to create hate against me. And death. When you watch a broadcast nightly newscast, how often do you hear about just how far off the road Trump is? Not often enough. Yes, they, don't, they, they do note the daily madness, but they rarely connect the dots between the freakouts. Now, I do think CNN and MSNBC are better about putting the ugly reality right front and center in banners and in stories. But there's not really a vocabulary for this. There's not really a format for covering it. I mean, look, it's, it's comfortable and natural to lead a newscast with, say, Trump wanting to buy Greenland. We have a format for that. We know what to do. We know what to put in the banner. We know how to do it. It's a lot harder to cover concerns about the president's well-being. Because it's really a series of questions that no one is able to answer. Why does he make it all about himself, even after, for example, visiting a hospital after a massacre? Why does he lie so often? Is there a method to the madness, or is something wrong? Is he suffering from some sort of illness? It's, see, it's questions, questions, and then just more questions. No satisfying answers. And here's what happens every time. Take Megan McArdle's newest column for the Washington Post. She says... I'm not Trump's doctor, and I don't know what's wrong with him. There's that understandable aversion to diagnosing someone off the TV. And that aversion sometimes shuts down these conversations. But McCarl said she doesn't need a diagnosis to know she should be worried. And maybe that's the point. Uh, Here's James Fallows making a similar point for The Atlantic, saying, if Trump were a CEO or an airline pilot or in virtually any other position of responsibility, action would already be underway to remove him from that role. So something's wrong. There are lots of theories about what it is. There are some doctors who think they know. There are others who say we shouldn't speculate. There are ethical questions about even having this conversation at all. But we can't tiptoe around it anymore. We've got to talk about this. How can you be taken serious as a news, the number one name in news, the most trusted network on news, or trusted news network, James Earl Jones used to say that. How 
when you say things like that. He has killed more people than Mao Zedong. Are you fucking serious? And to get your panties in a knot because their other network, Fox, is hiring conservatives when all you do is hire libs. Everybody on your network has been connected to a Democratic campaign or Democratic family member since your inception. And the media is too soft. 90% of all stories, that's including Fox, folks, are negative. Granted, some of them, rightly so. Greg Gutfeld, must hand it to CNN. Finally, they helped deem Trump a larger mass murderer than Hitler, Mao, and Stalin. They left out the Black Plague, AIDS, and the asteroids that wiped out the dinosaurs. (laughs) Also on CNN, while all this is going on, with summer winding down, here's a sample of what Michelle and I have been listening to. Some new, some old, some fast, some slow. Hope you enjoy Barack Obama, CNN. What do little Nas X... Steely Dan and Lizzo have in common? They're all high up on the former President Barack Obama's summer pay playlist. Their article, not only did he pay homage to some new artists, he threw him back to some classics of Stevie Wonder. Don't worry, don't you worry about a thing. Van Morrison, Brown Eyed Girl, and Rolling Stones happy. Lizzo was over the moon when she saw that she had made the cut. She tweeted, We're friends now. I don't make the rules. The Obamas know how to have a good time when the music's on, whether it's dancing on Ellen DeGeneres' show or Easter egg roll, singing with Willie Nelson at a tribute to Ray Charles. Cue this mic drop summer 2019 Obama out. That's a news network. A tweeter fawning over your favorite leftist president, a habit you're not going to break just because he's out of office. And it's so true. <laughs> but then we flip over to MSDNC. And for the 85th time, we have fake news. NBC News can't confirm O'Donnell's bombshell Trump-Russia report. This has not been confirmed by NBC News. I've not seen any documentation. Host Lawrence O'Donnell issued an on-air clarification Tuesday after making a shocking claim that President Donald Trump ties to Russian oligarchs has not been vetted by NBC News. In response to Democrats-controlled House Committee subpoena, Deutsche Bank revealed Tuesday that it was in possession of tax returns related to Trump or his immediate family, while the partially redacted filing did not specify whose tax return the bank possessed. O'Donnell opened the last word by claiming they were President Trump's based on one source with the Deutsche Bank. O'Donnell claimed later in the segment that his source information goes very few important steps beyond publicly available information and that Trump's tax returns reveal that the president pays little or no income taxes in some years. The source says the Deutsche Bank is in possession of loan documents that show Donald Trump has obtained loans with co-signers and that he would not have been able to obtain those loans without co-signers. The source close to Deutsche Bank says... The co-signers Donald Trump's Deutsche Bank loans are Russian billionaire close to Vladimir Putin. By the time it's all said and done, Deutsche Bank has declined to comment Lawrence O'Donnell's reporting that a Russian oligarchs co-signed Trump's loan. The information came from a single source who has not seen the bank records. NBC has not seen those records and has not yet been able to verify the reporting. So basically it was a lie. Just like Rachel Maddow, I have his tax returns. Hmm. Then we have Chris Hayes. I tried to get the soundbite because this is just the epitome 
of our media with this president. Who, once again, if you're new to the show, I'm not a Trumper. I, I've i said it. I'll probably vote it for him again because you guys on the left are putting a bunch of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs people on. But the guy's embarrassing sometimes. I admit. But your hate makes you worse. Your conduct makes you worse. But I, I tried to get this soundbite. Because this is our media. Chris Hayes reviews President Trump history of aggressive handshakes and the defense world leaders like Francis Emmanuel Macron employ to counter them. Close-ups included. They zoomed in on his handshakes. Then Stephen Gukowski brings us to really one of the worst things I've seen in this ever-present We Want to Take Your Guns. NBC News, the man who's been hospitalized, at least 39 guns, multiple grenades, and more than 2,000 rounds of ammunition, according to police. Police who were responding to the report of a suicidal man Wednesday discovered a cache of weapons, which include firearms, grenades, and ammunition inside the man's house. Do you believe he had grenades? Anybody out there believe he has grenades? Liberals did. Stephen Gukowski. The grenades were inactive and not dangerous. By the way, boys and girls, I have two on my desk. This is one right here. Yeah, that's the pin and the and the spoon. It, it's an inner grenade. I got one on a little. I could, can't shake it for you. It's on a, a death thing with a flag. It's got my name on it. It's a grenade. Oh no! I pulled the grenade. Oh, I pulled the pin. Ah, we're gonna. Do, oh, it's a fake grenade. <laughs> Fucking dickheads. I guess we're just going to smear this man as reportedly not a threat to anyone but himself because he collected firearms. The plan is now to destroy potentially tens of thousands of dollars of his property. 39 guns is an above-average collection, but really not that big. If you count 22 LR, then I'm probably about 2,000 rounds of ammunition in my gun bag right now. I already listed it last podcast. I got about 2,000 rounds of this motherfucker. I got four weapons. Does that make me a kook? There are probably about 2,000 rounds of ammo in my gun bag right now. But most big city reporters act like three guns and 100 rounds is some sort of arsenal. This man committed exactly zero crimes, and there's exactly zero indication that any threat to anyone other than himself, maybe. But NBC News decided this was national news because I guess they think the man should be ashamed, excuse me, should be shamed for collecting firearms. This is gross. Frankly, this is the kind of ignorant crap that makes people hate the media. They treated this 72-year-old man like a criminal and a crazy person because collecting guns. Literally, the only thing we know about him is his family was concerned he was suicidal and he owned guns. He wasn't charged with a single crime. No one even suggested he committed a crime. Is this how we're going to treat people, suicidal people? Shame them on national television for collecting guns? This is disgusting. What the hell were you thinking? Shame on the Philadelphia Police Department for implying this man was some sort of criminal for simply owning firearms. They didn't find any evidence of a crime and didn't charge him with a crime, but Gradley went on TV to imply he was some kind of a criminal. This is how the police and the media treat a potentially suicidal elderly person, all because he legally owned guns. Disgustingly ignorant crap. The only difference between this potential suicidal elderly man and another suicidal person is he had a gun collection. There's no evidence he broke any laws or threatened anyone, but his mental health struggle is worthy of a criminal treatment by NBC Nightly News. Why did you 
it was appropriate, why did you think it was appropriate to shame this potentially suicidal elderly man on national television? He has committed zero crimes and there's zero suggestions he threatened anybody else. Why did you treat him like a criminal on national TV? What is your goal? I'm livid and you can tell because it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. But that's our media. They don't know anything else but the bubble. They think owning a firearm makes you mentally deranged to begin with. So if you own more than one firearm, remember, these are the people who go, you don't need that gun. <clears throat> you don't need an AR. You're, there's no reason to own that. You don't need a pistol. But as I've espoused on the show a million fucking times, this is why it won't work. A, Every time you guys want some registry, you want to get a license to own a gun. It's just a gun registry for some fucking kook to dox them, like happened in Boston. Secondly, if we go to what we all think we should as mental health as a check before you own a gun, every one of you fuckers out there who don't want people to have gun because you want total control will say that me, a person who went for counseling for depression, I shouldn't have a gun anymore. Even though I had no suicidal problems, even though I didn't have any active uh, hate or violence or anything in my background, just the simple going to a psychiatrist, oh, take it. Then you'll take it a step further. It'll be, oh, well, in his family, depression's a big thing. You never get out of a gun. Oh, one of your uh, third cousins shot somebody. You don't get a gun. You're not... Honest, because it's not about the gun, it's about control. You call everybody fascist, but you're the fucking fascist. You want to tell them how to live, if they can own guns, as we'll see inside our college crazy today, what to fucking eat with your crazy no hamburger bullshit. Gotta have 95 pronouns. If you're heterosexual, you're a fucking white supremacist. If you're this, you're a racist. If you don't think like me, you shouldn't have an opinion. And then they go to their airwaves and they demonstrate it perfectly. Two genders. Any politician that says there's only two genders, that's incendiary. Mojo. Elizabeth Warren is American politics at its best. A person who lied about her ethnicity. Interesting. Trump belongs in a psycho ward. I can't play an MSDNC soundbite without that being in it. And Jennifer Rubin. You know, we got all these doxing and that everybody should be doxed and all the shit we've covered so far. And Nancy Pelosi, we need to punch people in the face for the children. Well, now, the GOP needs to be burned to the ground. That was said on national TV. We've got an important question now. What does it mean to be a mainstream Republican? It is the question that some Republicans have been asking in the age of Donald Trump. And increasingly, it seems the answer might be to make incendiary comments about women and members of the LGBTQ community. Just yesterday, former Minnesota Representative Jason Lewis, who in 2012 lamented that men can no longer call women sluts, announced that he is challenging Senator Tina Smith for her seat next year. And in Louisiana, the Republican candidate for governor, Ralph Abraham, is out with a new TV ad this week, making incendiary comments about gender. 
And as a doctor, I can assure you there are only two genders. Joining me now, Jennifer Horn, former New Hampshire GOP chairwoman who just resigned from the log cabin Republicans. By the way, Donald Trump and his crowd size uh, issue, <laughs> Claire, that you brought up. Um, it, it's funny because he's even tweeting that Elizabeth Warren gets more coverage <laughs> for her crowd sizes. I can explain that. Elizabeth Warren, she's been working on her message since she's been in graduate school and since she right. has watched people suffer from bankruptcy and studied what has happened <clears throat> in the system of America, the American mm -hmm. economy that has victimized these people. And what is getting her those crowds, Mr. President, is because her message resonates. And she's been working that message. And people want answers as to why they're suffering. And they are drawn to her, thousands of them across the country, to hear what she has to say. I would just say that's far more well. impressive than having a hat that says make America great again and then literally destroying that message with yeah. every policy you've put on the table. Well, I, Donald Trump attracts people with a show. It's about insults. Uh, Elizabeth Warren but anger. attracts people with ideas. Yeah. So it's, it's much easier to attract people with insults than with ideas. And even if I don't agree with all of Elizabeth Warren's ideas, it's still pretty remarkable it is that remarkable. she just keeps hammering away with her vision for America, her ideas, her policies. And that is what's drawing 10, 15,000 people out to her. That's American events. politics at its best. Well, well uh, Donald Trump does have a fundamental psychological problem. He needs to be loved all the time. He needs to have power over everyone all the time. Once you get that idea down, the rest of his behavior and his speech makes sense. He well, also doesn't. Go on. Uh, I was just going to say he also doesn't have any uh, respect for the truth or for honesty. They don't mean anything to him because he can't care about them. His focus again is always on himself, and to be to care about being honest to people rather than lie to them means you'd have to care about the, your effect on them. Are you going to harm them? Are you going to mislead them? But since he has no conscience uh, for, for that kind of thing, he never expresses regret. He does uh, terrible things to people. The children in, uh, the, who are being detained in cages are uh, a good example. He has no uh, 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 regrets about these things. Uh, the children, of course, really amount to a crime against humanity. If you think about it psychologically, this is what some of us, uh, uh, one term in my field is called uh, uh, soul murder. That's what he's doing to these children, and his, uh, 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 his ability to do that fits perfectly with this kind of very deep uh, sickness where other people don't matter and uh, he can hurt them to whatever extent. What you see, Maya, is his inability to evolve on any of these issues. I mean, I think one of the most regrettable ones here has to do with gun policy, where the movie played out just as a lot of us thought the movie would, would play out. Said one thing, talked about meetings, talked about hearing people out, uh, and then got on the phone with Wayne LaPierre and his colleagues, and we were back to where we were after the last mass shooting that we had. This is the man who this week said he was the second coming. Right, the chosen one. Uh, as he looked to the stars, yeah. <laughs> It is very, very difficult to not have a conversation about whether or not he's competent to serve as president. And I, I say that because there are actually objective measures this week. So there's 
There's the possibility, of course, that he is just a president without a platform, and therefore he's not going to stick to one position, and he is going to waver based on whoever's influencing him because he doesn't stand for anything. That is one narrative. The other possibility is that, as we saw with Ronald Reagan, who actually did have Alzheimer's and it was kept under wraps, I just don't understand why we not actually ask and have a confrontational conversation about whether or not there's something more going on here with his health because there are certain statements and behaviors that simply require some analysis because he is the leader of or supposedly the leader of the free world so i i, I just want to say that it's both those things i don't know which one is true yeah. i am not making a statement of fact but this week this is an extreme administration that is is dangerous. If you are a Latino right now, you probably need to carry your birth certificate around. I've known people that are carrying them because they're so scared that they're going to be scooped up and stolen. What we should be doing is shunning these people. Shunning, shaming these people is a statement of moral indignation that these people are not fit for polite society. I think any institution, University of Virginia, for example, for a bit had a relationship with Mark Short, who is now back with the administration. I think it's absolutely abhorrent that any institution of higher learning, any um, news organization or any or, uh, entertainment uh, organization that has a news outlet would hire these people. I also want to um, echo something that um, my friend uh, E.J. said. Um, it's not only that Trump has to lose, but that all his enablers have to lose. They have to, we have to collectively, in essence, burn down the Republican Party. Um, we have to level them, because if there are survivors, if there are people who weather this storm, they will do it again. They will take this as confirmation that, hey, it just pays to ride the waves. Look at me. I've made it through. And so up and down the ticket, federal, state, local offices, the country has to repudiate this. This has become a dysfunctional anti-government party. That is not what the country wants and what it needs. And the proof is in the pudding. The reason they engage in voter suppression is because their underlying agenda is very unpopular. Right. Um, no one's in favor, it turns out, of taking away people's health care. People don't like it when you come after Medicaid and Medicare. Um, so my hope, at least, um, is that um, after this debacle, um, a leveled Republican Party um, will rethink itself, will go back to that wonderful document that Reince Priebus put out in 12, 2012. Remember oh, right, that? Right. That was the autopsy report. Yep. Remember that? They had to that. be on, they had to go for immigration reform. They had to <laughs> um, shed their um, nationalist rhetoric. Um, they had to really talk about pocketbook issues, look at it from the point of view of the middle class. Um, that's the only way we're going to get there. Um, and if they don't, um, then they're going to lose election after election. And frankly, that would be fine, too. Yeah. Yeah. My hope is that the Democrats don't blow it. My hope is that the Democrats um, are able to pull together a coalition that's large enough to govern. Yeah. Um, and that we can have some sane governance for a period of but time. I so staying on, staying on the theme of uh, our media is fucking crazy. We had this New York Times calling us offended by bedbucks bullshit. So let's break it down. Don't be cruel to Brett Stevens, New York Times columnist who compared Republicans to murderous dictators and said that serpent Ted Cruz would sell his family into slavery. He doesn't like being called a bedbug. Not only that, he'll complain to your boss if you do so. It all started when word came out on Monday that there was an outbreak of bedbugs in New York Times newsroom. George Washington University professor David Carf made a joke comparing Stevens to the annoying past. Carf tweeted out an email sent to him 
from Stevens. It was also CC to Provost GW. Here is the email in full from Brett Stevens. Dear Carl, someone just pointed out a tweet you wrote about calling me a bed bug. I'm often amazed about the things supposedly decent people are prepared to say about other people, people I never met on Twitter. I think you set a new record. I would welcome the opportunity for you to come to my home, meet my wife and kids, talk to us for a few minutes, and then call me a bed bug to my face. That would take some genuine courage and intellectual integrity on your part. I promise to be courteous no matter what you have to say. Maybe it will make you feel better about yourself. Please consider this in a standing invitation. You are more than welcome to bring your significant other. Cordially, Brett Stevens. New York Times. The Great Lady. One might say that Stevens is a tad oversensitive, but hypocritical is another description. Appearing on MSDNC Tuesday to defend his action, this is what the motherfucker had to say. All right, Brett, I have to ask you, because uh, there's a lot of buzz about this. You deactivated your Twitter account after a controversy that involved someone calling you a name. Would you like to comment on that? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to be careful with my words okay. because I know these are going to be uh, examined carefully. So I think Twitter brings out the worst in its users. It tends to bring out the worst in its users. And yesterday, um, a professor at George Washington University described me as a bed bug or a metaphorical bed bug uh, just in the context of the New York Times having a, a bed bug problem in our building. And I think that kind of rhetoric is, is dehumanizing and totally unacceptable no matter where, where it comes from. So I wrote him a personal email. I didn't go to Twitter. I wrote him a, a, a personal email, which I think was, was, was very uh, civil, saying that I didn't appreciate it, that I would welcome him to come to my home in New York, meet, uh, meet with my family, and see if you would call me a bed bug to uh, my face, because a lot of the things people say on social media aren't the things they're really prepared to say in one-on-one -on -one interactions. I also copied his provost uh, on the note. People are uh, upset about this. I want to be clear. I had no intention whatsoever to get him in any kind of professional trouble, but it is the case that the New York Times and other institutions that uh, people should be aware, managers should be aware of the way in which their people, their professors or journalists uh, interact with the rest of the world. That's certainly the case with, uh, with me at the New York Times. My, my editors are always aware of, of what I'm saying, and I've sometimes been called to account uh, uh, rightly so. He then posted my email on Twitter so people are free to go and look at what I, uh, uh, what I had to say. All I would say is that using dehumanizing rhetoric like bed bugs or, you know, analogizing people to insects is, is always wrong. We can do better. We should be the people on social media that we are in real life. I would agree with that final statement for sure. Um, is that the worst thing that you have ever been called on social media? There's a, there's a bad history of being called, uh, of being analogized to insects that goes back to a lot of totalitarian regimes in the past. I've been called worse. I wrote this guy a personal note. Now it's out there for everyone to see. Brett Stevens, thank you for letting us hear that. That's a reporter. And don't you for one fucking second believe he did not CC the provost to try to get the guy fired. Because that's what the left does. That's what all the left, we just covered it. Progressives believe they have the right to get you fired, get you doxxed, get you kicked out of societies. They believe you shouldn't be able to eat in public if you wear a red fucking hat. 
So this guy's a true blue lib. So of course, he sent it to the fucking provost. He wanted that motherfucker fired. Do you think of... Remember, I met Mark Halpern in an airport. He talked down to me like I was a fucking piece of shit stuck to his shoe. And I was complimenting him. Now, this is way before he started sexually harassing fucking girls. But I complimented his work. He always seemed kind of professional when he dogged Republicans... Because, you know, there's not going to be a reporter I'm going to find that isn't going to dog Republicans. But when he dogged them, it was at least professional. It was at least a conversation. It wasn't like demeaning terms, yada, yada. I do want Dick to do with me. You walk up to Chuck Todd, George Snuffaguffagus, fucking Don Lemon, any of these motherfuckers. Unless you're wearing, and this is me as a white person, white people are evil shirts and Obama hat. They are not going to give you the time of day. They don't believe you have the right to even speak to them. You're beneath them. Brooke Baldwin. Do you think Brooke Baldwin sitting next to me on a plane would talk to me? Fuck no. They believe their hype. Our media have turned into stars now. They don't bring you the news. They bring themselves. So this motherfucker was called a bedbug because he's a fucking hack. These are things he's done in 2017, August. He compared the Secretary of State Rex Tillerson to genocidal murder. Tillerson seems to be kind of Maoist school, maybe like Pol Pot. But we shouldn't call people names, he said. Did you hear that? January 2018. Stevens like Trump to Venezuelan strongman Hugo Chavez. It's ironic that a president who wants to build a wall with Latin America is actually importing a style of cult of personality politics that's reminiscent of Juan Perón or actually Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez. In June 2016, the writer sneered, this reminds me of a certain regime around the world, the Maduro regime in Venezuela. In September 2018, the MSDNC analyst was thrilled over his paper's decision to publish an anonymous op-ed from a supposed senior Trump administration official. Stephen compared Trump to a drug addict. It's got to be worse than being called a bedbug. What this sort of reminds me of is our household in which a father or mother have some stuff, substance abuse issues, and everyone in the family decides that instead of simply addressing the issue dead on, they're going to cover for a person who's suffering from substance abuse. Then, in September 2018, he slimed Cruz, as someone who would sell his family into slavery, ranting, he's like a serpent covered in Vaseline. I, I think a serpent's worse than a bedbug. Then in 2017, September, the New York Times journalists attacked those who would dare criticize Colin Kaepernick, calling it quasi-fascism. These examples all seem slightly worse than bedbugs, proving that he can't dish it out, but can't take it. Stevens on Tuesday quit Twitter. George Washington University publicly responded to Stevens, defending his, jur- his professor. Thanks for getting in touch. As you know, as an academic, Professor Camp speaks for himself and does not take direction from the school. Sorry, it's really bad fun. I can't find my glasses or my wife's car, I think. I don't know. His opinions are his own. Our commitment to academic freedom of free speech are integral to GW's mission. 
I see on Twitter that you invited him to your home. I would like to take the opportunity to invite you to come to our campus to speak about our discourse on the digital age. Please reach out to me if that is something of interest. Best, Forrest, blah, blah, provost. So the actual people that were involved from the school got to Twitter and said the following. Brett Stevens is such a liar. There's literally no other reason to CC the guy's provost. This is blatantly obvious Stevens is trying to lie. Julio Ricardo Varela. Brett Stevens on MSM DNC saying Twitter brings out the worst in people. Since GW professor used demonizing language, he's obsessing about being called a bed bug. I know intention to get him in professional trouble, Stevens said. Oh my God, the white male fragility tears. <laughs> Got turned around on you, didn't it? Brent Stevens says there is bad history of totalitarian governments using insect language to humanize people. Brent Stevens, CC and Cove's provost, was seriously suggested Stevens want Cove to get in professional trouble. It was a penjo move. Yeah. Who's the fascist? Who's the fascist now? But this is the New York Times. They wrote another article about the Tea Party. The high, the, the, the fucking heading wasn't evil enough. Twitter attacked him. The very guy that says Twitter brings out the worst in people. Yeah, they attack him. We have updated this story assessing the policy failures of the Tea Party movement 10 years after its rise to include context about attacks on the President, Obama, and racist displays at some Tea Party rallies. Mark Hemingway, repeatedly letting itself get bullied into changing its coverage for the left is not a good look for the New York Times. Noah Rothman, one small saving grace, the characterization of the Tea Party as racist due to the popular demand of Twitter, Ombudsman, is prefaced with the qualifier as Mr. Obama's allies saw the movement. Not a statement of fact, but opinion about one faction. Once again, we covered it on the show. We went back. It wasn't a fucking racist movement. It was the first time normal people took to the fucking st- streets. They just had to be white. But they find a black guy with a gun and a couple racists in the crowd and boom, we're not covering this. But pussy hat wearing blow up the White House. Oh, they didn't even fucking blink at that. Yeah. Liberal bubble on NPR, New York Times team, LOL at View. They help Dems with the slavery project. On Thursday edition of the NPR Morning Talk Show, 1A, host Joshua Johnson devoted the first hour to promoting the 1619 Project. New York Times, which seeks to reframe American history, is dominated to this very day by slavery. In a town hall meeting transcript that leaked, Times editor Dean Baquette, we already talked about it, so this is what they end up doing. It sounds ridiculous to negate any history that happened before that point, much like it seems silly to ignore the actual date of founding of the country. Why do Democrats hate the country so much and spend so much time trying to drag our country through the mud? Joshua Johnson said, Nicole Johnson, and I hear can hear the Wesley in the room now. Hi, that's Wesley Morris, a critic at large for New York Times. Wesley, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Johnson, since you were the first voice I heard bust out laughing, why don't you respond to Charlie Morris? Well, I mean, I think that most of us in general have what we have or don't have what we have without acknowledging all's gone in the last 400 years. I mean, I don't know why this has to be a partisan issue. I mean, everyone had a hand in slavery, and everybody has a hand in not talking about how they had a hand in slavery. This seems like a perfect nonpartisan history, and resolving it is going to require some bipartisan self-awareness. I didn't have a hand in slavery. 
My family wasn't even fucking here. How the fuck did I have anything to do with slavery? Most of the African Americans here can't even take somebody that was slavery. Or was a slave. Then, New York Times tells Germany's safety buries stats on refugee crimes. All Of all the crimes recorded last year, 39% overall committed by non-German citizens, though they account for just 12% of Germany's overall population. Buried that! So Germany's super safe if you're a Muslim. Then we flipped the WAPO. The Washington Post Super Bowl ad said the paper exists because knowing empowering us, knowing helps us decide, and knowing keeps us free. Which category of knowing does this bombshell fall into? A man in Islamic dress told a Starbucks employee his name was Aziz. She put ISIS on the cup. WAPO. Democracy dies in stupid. Chadwick Moore brings up our last, and we'll go into hate tweets. Ha ha. Facebook hires PolitiFact to fact-check a photograph of Biden with Robert Byrd. Despite the photo being real, their judgment is mostly false because the caption gets Byrd's rank wrong. He wasn't a grand wizard, but an exalted cyclop. That's our fucking media right there. Remember, PolitiFact's part of the Democratic fucking media. So is fucking SPLC. A motherfucking racist KKK member who was a Democrat, who was Hillary Clinton's mentor, Biden's buddy. That's not relevant because they got the rank wrong. Really? You fucking chuckleheads. To hate tweets. Hate tweet of the day! because in this video several points were made so you voting for this video means that you want a world where we're all treated equally under the law regardless of who we love regardless of how we identify at the end of this video there was a petition and there still is a petition for the Equality Act, which basically just says we all deserve equal rights under the law. And I want to thank everyone who signed that petition because it now has half a million signatures, which which is five times the amount that it would need to warrant a response from the White House. Everyone in music knows that the artists nominated for Best Land Video are Global Force. Their music is the soundtrack for the entire world. Wherever you go, every country, on every continent, people are listening to it. The videos don't get millions of views, they get billions. I'm so proud to pronounce this award because, as an immigrant, 
I feel like we are the people that make this country. And I feel like I want to be the voice. And can I get a half of that? These nominees, and most of them are immigrants too. On top of the biggest movement in music, check them out. Last night, Taylor Swift kicked off the VMAs with a bang. Making a bold statement with a performance of her pride-themed hit, You Need to Calm Down. And later, during her acceptance speech, calling out the Trump administration for not acknowledging her Equality Act petition for LGBTQ rights. It now has half a million signatures, which is five times the amount that it would need to warrant a response from the White House. This is all part of the Taylor transformation, going from being famously apolitical to active. But that all changed in 2018 when she waded into Tennessee politics. With that encouragement to her fans to register, Vote.org saw more than 60,000 registrations. So we are seeing a different Taylor, it seems, these days. But that Equality Act extends LGBT discrimination protections on a federal level. Passed the House in May, not expected to pass this current Senate or even being brought up. But still, the Taylor effect we've seen before, she makes a statement in front of millions like that. We shall see. And she's doing it the way she does her music is what she's doing with intent and with intelligence. Absolutely. She did it last time. I feel like we might see RBG in one of her videos. (laughs) No response from the White House yet, though. No response yet. She's waiting. That, of course, was the VMAs, and the media got all over that shit with those young dumbasses and Taylor Swift now about immigrants. Shut the fuck up. To more New York Times, I put it in here, even though it's media-related, it just goes back to tweets, so hate tweets, and I got this from a tweet, so here we go. New York Times tends to forgive outrageous tweets from the left. Tom Wright Persanti, a senior editor on the political desk of the New York Times, embarrassed his paper, which has been busy lately attacking Trump for anti-Semitism, when several of his past offensive anti-Jewish tweets resurfaced on Breibart, including one from New Year's Day, where he said, uh, less anti-Semitic Happy Jew Year bullshit. Among this many offensive tweets, most from around 2009-2010 era, now deleted with apology. I was going to blah, 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 blah. Many other tweets since deleted would not pass muster with the sensitivity police that work at the time, such as this one. I like to make it rain when I perform my authentic Native American dance strip thing, Tom Wright. As the paper ponders, where he read it, sorry, I'm trying to move along in this article, um, a Times spokesman reacted, we are aware of these tweets, which are of a clear violation of our standards. We're reviewing next steps. As of Friday of noon, no action has been announced. As the paper ponders its editor's fate, it's revealing to see how the paper has dealt with previous examples of offensive or offensive <clears throat> so social media comments, but both fresh and anxious, both from people in the news or from the Times staff. Old offensive internet commentary from Parkland teen and Second Amendment activist Kyle Kashchev tweets made the paper's front page in June under the headline, Racist Comments Cost Conservative Parkland Student a Place at Harvard. The paper outrage regarding offensive tweets seemed connected to how woke one is and how many friends you have in the liberal bastion like the mainstream press in Hollywood. Renowned British comedian Josh Cleese didn't have many after suggesting mass immigration may actually 
change a culture. Comedian Kevin Hart, who was ousted for hosting the Oscars after homophobic tweets resurfaced, also failed to arouse much Times sympathy. On the other side, Liberal Guardian of the Galaxy director James Gunn was propped up by the paper after being fired by Disney from the third installment of the franchise after Gunn's bizarre pedophilia-related ones that we covered on the show. The controversy dovetails interestingly with the paper's latest edition on the Sunday Review, a big look back at Gamergate, the complicated scandal in video game universe. Staffer Charlie Wurzel bashed conservative by name in contemptuous fashion, and Gamergate gave us the post-truth information war. Today, five years later, the element of Gamergate are frighteningly familiar. Hundreds of thousands of hashtag-swarming tweets, armies of fake Twitter accounts, hoaxes, and disinformation percolating in murky chat rooms and message boards before spreading to confuse mainstream media. Advertisers, boycotts, crowdfunding campaigns, racist, sexist, and misogynistic memes, YouTube shock jocks, D-list celebrities, hand-wringing about political correctness on Twitter, Milo Yiannopoulos, Steve Bannon, and Breiberg, Candace Owens. But the real eye-opener was a piece by editorial board member Sarah Zhang, When the Online mom comes, Mob Comes After You, available in the link above. Notorious for, I don't know why I read that. I probably shouldn't. Notorious for tweets mostly from 2013 to 15, in which she reveled in joy she got from being cruel to old white men. She also raged at dumbass fucking white people and posed the question, are white people generally predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? In her Sunday review piece, she actually made herself the victim of her own hateful comments, giving herself excuses. I was joking. <clears throat> they were taken out of context. That the paper wouldn't accept from anyone it didn't sympathize with politically. Last year, I landed in hot water for a number of tweets I posted years before about white people, especially white men. They were irrever- irreverent jokes, some responses to people harassing me, others outright snark. Some are parodies of race science like Charles Murray's The Bell Curve. Stripped of context and viewed many years later, they were enough to start an online conflagration about reverse racism. Yet the paper itself recently and publicly demoted Jonathan Weissman for his position as deputy Washington editor due to some clumsy but not badly offensive discussions about race on Twitter that offended the left. So will the Times editor Tom Wright Persani get the lenient jong treatment or the harder Weissman? You know what he's going to get. Which goes to our nest. New York Times streaks Warren Press when Twitter turnabout is fair play. So much for those New York Times slogan truth. It's more important now than ever. Digging up old social media postings to use against public figures, usually conservatives, is the kind of investigation the Times as the rest of the press have been doing for years. But now, as recently uncovered pro-Trump project is revealed to be targeting journalists in similar fashion, the tactic is suddenly dis- disreputable, even dangerous. <clears throat> Holding journalists accountable for their own offensive statements and behavior is somehow dangerous as if they are protected class with a special dispensation to research public available social media posts. The Times is putting itself in an awkward and hypocritical position of hope opposing the reporting of publicly available statements and facts when done by conservatives. The tactic can damage careers, but the newspaper's outrage comes off hollow. Given the press history of doxing Trump supporters for making pro-Trump or anti-Democrat memes they didn't like, and the Times itself for publishing op-ed advocating the doxing, revealing personal information on private citizens for the purpose of targeting harassment, such as the Border Patrol. Times reporter Kenneth Vogel and Jeremy Peters reported in Monday's edition, Trump allies target journalists over cover deemed hostile to the White House. 
Vogel's jittery reaction on the Twitter began in all caps. New front in the war on press. Trump allies say they have archived embarrassing posts by hundreds of employees of the Times, New York, WAPO, CNN, and others. The Trump allies plan to disseminate the post on re- in response to coverage they consider unfair. <clears throat> in the latest step in a long-running effort by Mr. Trump and his allies to undercut the influence of legitimate news reporting, four people familiar with the operation describe how it works, asserting that it was compiled dossiers of potentially embarrassing social media posts and other public statements by hundreds of people who work at some of the country's most prominent news organizations. The group has already released information about journalists at CNN, WAPO, New York Times, three outlets that have aggressively investigated false accusations against Trump, called them real, and then caught to be false. Oh, they didn't add that in there. In response to reporting or commentary the White House allies consider unfair to Mr. Trump and his team or harmful to re-election prospects. The operation is the latest step in a long-running effort by... Okay, we already read that. I don't know why they did it. But are they really targeting legitimate news reporting or fighting about the actual reporting being done by mainstream press these days? There's a huge difference. The campaign is consistent with Mr. Trump's long-running effort to delegitimize critical reporting and brand the news media as enemy of the people. But using journalistic techniques to target journalists and news organizations as retribution for, or as a warning not to pursue, sue, coverage critical of the president is fundamentally different from the well-established role of the news media in scrutinizing people in positions of power. A.G. Sulzberger, the publisher of the Times, said in a statement that such tactics were taking the president campaign against free press to a new level. Why? Why? Folks, you do it. Why can't you handle it? The thing is, they got fucking hammered for this shit. Um, Politico, Jack Schaefer wrote, Journalists don't have thin skins. Broadcaster Edward R. Murrow is reputed to have said they have no skins. Reporters are so sensitive that you don't, you needn't criticize the work to earn a buzzsaw in the face and return. Just offer the observation. I saw your piece and frown. They'll be on you with tooth and claw in a millisecond, demanding to know what you're implying. Yeah. Other journalists don't deserve a get out of bigotry jail free card just because they're journalists. If their past tweets, however ancient, undercut their current journalistic work or make them sound hypocritical, they can't blame their diminishing prestige on Trump allies. It's like blaming a cop for writing a ticket for speeding in a school zone. Dinesh D'Souza, do unto them what they do to others. Didn't Christ say something along those lines? Molly Hemingway, as a media critic, Twitter has been an invaluable resource for showing how a histrionic, partisan, arrogant, uneducated, and ignorant far too many in our political media are. Their work product shows the result of these traits. And as we all can see, it's not pretty. Yeah. Not pretty. Seth Mandel. Sounds like they're declaring war on the press and more they realize this is like 87% of what reporters do and they're getting it in on the action. And that's the fact. Dan McLaughlin did it more succinctly. Live by the sword, die by the sword. It's okay for you to do this, but it's not okay for everybody else to do it. The fact is, of the matter is, and it's irrefutable. 
every one of these reporters are huge hypocrites. They say they're objective. They're saying, we're here to hold powerful people accountable as long as they have an R behind their name. Eight years of Obama. Eight years we didn't know anything until he left office. So yes, your tweets are fair play. Cuomo, Lemon, fucking Scudo, all of them. You're all Democrats, and you live by the, we have the right to tell you what to eat, drink, own, buy, everything, as we just stated. So guess what? you got to live by that, too. If your tweets from the past, just like Joy Reid, are fucking homophobic, anti-Semitic, racist, that's fair game like a motherfucker. I know it won't change anything because Democrats are always that way. I mean, right now, look at fucking immigration, boys and girls. Jesus Christ. Every Democrat in charge, we must secure the border. Now, you're racist if you want a wall. They don't get held to that. Republicans do, but Democrats don't. So, how to hit that. It's so funny because they live by Twitter. That's what they do. They scrounge, dox anybody. If right now, as I've said it before, this podcast got viral somehow, which will never happen, every tweet I ever did would be fair game. Dead dead, uh, dead Space would do a fucking article on it. CNN would do an article. He's a racist. He's a homophobe. He's a transphobe. They try to find who I work for. When I found out I don't have a job, they'd go after fucking the army. Well, he should deserve his benefits. Just like Stevens did. Next subject's abortion. This song, I'm not going to play it all, is being just, Miss Mag heralds the heartbeat song. I'm not reading the lyrics. It's fucking horrible. Pleasure. 
Miss Mang Harold's heartbeat song is an anthem for the abortion activists. Singer Anita Asola released a pro-abortion song with the Women's March-inspired Resistance Revival Chorus on Monday. The song was written in response to Georgia's heartbeat bill, which bans abortion after a baby's heartbeat can be detected, but is tied up in courts. The song is actually titled Heartbeat, and it frequent refrain, Can You Hear Our Heartbeat? practically mocks the mass slaughter wrought by Roe v. Wade. Wouldn't they just do this? Does that not make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Then WAPO comes in and says this. If you're pro-life, you might be a Nazi. Next time Talking Head complains that the right tirade is hate speech, open the latest WAPO to any page or random forbidden perspective. Where else would you learn, for example, of the sinister link between pro-life movement and white nationalists? The shocking information comes from Marissa Brostoff. She, like Jill Fulfolic, Philip Pavic and other rabid pro-abort feminists devoid of moral imagination, can't imagine that pro-lifers really care about life. To Brostoff, opposing abortion is a cover for more backwards Americans to get their racism on. Brostoff picks some of the moral radical and gaff-prone weirdos of the conservative movement as evidence of her claim. Like Iowa Republican Congressman Steve King, she wrote, and we already know about King, we're not doing how else would we explain grotesque hypocrisy of the Republican Party hardline anti-abortion politics? Brostuff makes the argument that in a moral sense, Republicans' claim to support life is not compatible with revelations about the imprisonment of migrants, children, and the death penalty. She quotes writer Mona Eswale, who claimed that today's white nationalism are obsessed with falling birth rates, and by extension, they're obsessed with the recruitment and total control of women's wombs. Essentially, Republicans like King are worried about the influx of new migrants and the decline of white babies, and that is where laws like Georgia Heartbeat Bill find their inspiration. Then she goes in to the Nazis. Then Brostoff gave some historical context about how the Nazis were obsessed with birth rates and the concept of worthy life, laying out parallels between that and our pro-life fascist regime. You know, we love white babies and don't want brown babies clearly because of our interest in border security, duh. And then she smeared pro-lifers as trying to invert the historical relationship between eugenics and reproductive rights to pass the blame onto those who favor reproductive rights. Though it's pretty clear the tactic has been employed right here. Again, what about the origins of Planned Parenthood on a eugenicist Margaret Sanger, whose idea... Ideas have allowed for millions of unborn children to be exterminated, including 25% of African-American population and compulsory sterilization sterilization laws that sterilize 60,000 people she considered to be feeble-minded idiots. Yeah. I wrote about the white nationalism deep in the heart of the anti-abortion movement, she said. Yeah. Then to Alyssa Milano. Yeah, Alyssa Milano and her shit. Jared Wilson, associate pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California, tweeted a picture of, of himself and his wife and their two young sons and stated, everyone should post a picture of their kids and use the hashtag, hashtag great joys. I don't know Alyssa Milano personally, but I'm praying she really thinks about the totality of what she's saying on public platforms, especially in regards to situations that encompass the reality of life and death. Children are our future and a blessing from God, not a burden that so many people, specifically people who are only focused on their own achievement and goals, make them out to be. I believe our world needs to stop treating them that way. Whether she wants to admit it or not, she now has two children in heaven whom she will never experience the joy of parenting. 
He continued, is choosing abortion unforgivable? Not at all. But I believe Alyssa's views on the subject to be both harmful and mentally disturbing. Wondering if Milano has ever thought about the fact her own mother had not aborted her, Wilson pondered. Because if she's honest with herself, that's what would have kept Alyssa from experiencing the joys and success that she's encountered in life. That's the story she should be advocating for, not the current one. I don't hate Alyssa. I want nothing but the best for her, her family, and her career. But I would encourage her and love to really rethink the impact her words may have on other people. That doesn't sound like a white nationalist. It just doesn't. Our last hate tweet, cheering the Constitution's demise. Henry Shrek isn't a fan of America's founding charter, which may be why our audience are such big fans of her. I can tell you this much. The old timer at the end of the bar said to me the other night, while I waited to meet a friend for Broadway show, I don't think that lady likes men very much. And she's got a 40-week tour where she's going across the country saying we shouldn't have the Constitution. Yeah. Good on you, Dems. To our tweet of the day. This one's hard to set up. All it is is somebody did a poll between a grilled cheese sandwich and Bill de Blasio. And we'll go from there. This experience has been up for a few days. We wanted to keep an eye on it see how it would trend. And it finally seems to have leveled off, which is good news for Bill de Blasio. Last Thursday, de Blasio posted a fundraising video on Twitter and it promptly earned 44 retweets. Whether you saw me on Sean Hannity or heard me on the Young Turks, whether you're watching me confront real Donald Trump or challenge Joe Biden, it's no secret that I tell everyone the exact same thing. Contribute what you can to keep my voice in the race. The question, could a photo of a grilled cheese sandwich earn more retweets than de Blasio's fundraising video? The answer, yes, by thousands. Bill de Blasio fundraising tweet has 10 retweets in 10 hours. Let's see if my grilled cheese is more popular than Bill de Blasio. As you can see, the grilled cheese has racked up 5,800 retweets and more than 8,000 likes. People commenting, retweeted because let's be real, a grilled cheese has more utility than a lot of politicians. (laughs) Another, certainly more than de Blasio, who has extremely negative utilities. Three days and 44 retweets. Boy, I sure hope you win the nomination. People would rather elect the Bradford Files grilled cheese than you. I'd vote for the Bradford Files grilled cheese sandwich before voting for de Blasio any day of the week. And it goes on and on and on to our real tweet of the day. You got a better chance of getting pregnant than getting the nomination. And that's from Don McCaffrey. Too funny. To a music break, we're going to play a new song by Slipknot off their new album. And then we'll go into news, social, media nuggets.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. It's why they call me Bad Company, and I can deny Bad Company today I die. Today I die. Were you trying to get crazy with this thing? Don't you know I'm local? local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. My name's Christian Corey, and I'm an experimental test pilot at Sikorsky Aircraft. In the uh, Raider program, I'm, uh, I'm sort of one of the guys that has the opportunity to fly the aircraft, but also participates in some of the uh, developmental meetings and the design. How do we get to the next step? So it's a bit of what we do. You can do things where you, you'd want to target something, for example, and you can, you can sort of hang there better than on a traditional helicopter. It gives you more flexibility in how to operate. Straight up, like speed is going to be the advantage. It's 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 a lot faster than you can go in a traditional helicopter. Um, on X2, you're able to to go faster without rotating the fuselage. So it's a level attitude that you maintain throughout, you know, your your speed sweep, if you will. Biggest difference between a, a fundamental, like traditional helicopter and the X2 is that prop that's on the back, right? It's taken really like the best part of, of a vertical a stovall, like a Harrier or the new Joint Strike Fighter that can, you know, it's this jet that can, can take off or land vertically and then go forward. Uh, X2 and the Raider can, can do that indefinitely, the same as a helicopter, until it's time to go fast and then it operates better in that regime as well. Forget everything you know about helicopters. X2 technology combines the best elements of low-speed helicopter performance with the cruise performance of an airplane. It's going to change. Military corner, sadly, we have another first special forces group soldier killed in Afghanistan. Sergeant First Class Dustin Ard, a Green Beret for First Special Forces Group, died from wounds sustained during a combat operation in Zabul Provost Province, Afghanistan. R31 left behind a young daughter and a pregnant wife, according to the local newspaper. God be with this family. Ranger was killed by Afghan friendly fire during night raid on Al Qaeda. On Al Qaeda investigation shows 
In the final hours of Army Sergeant Leonardo Jasso's life, he breached a small building on the southwestern edge of Afghanistan and engaged five heavily barricaded Al-Qaeda fighters in close combat. Two of the enemy fighters were killed inside, but three attempted to flee, only to be gunned down by isolation element as they exited the compound. Jasso's element consolidated as they took stock of the roughly four-minute gunfight that yielded five enemy dead, recovered one M4 carbine with a thermal optic, three AK-47s, one PK machine gun, and multiple chest racks with magazines of assorted ammunition. The multi-purpose working dog that breached the building alongside them was mortally wounded in the exchange in the early morning hours. While clearing another building roughly an hour later, Jasso, too, would be mortally wounded by gunfire. This time, the shot came from a soldier with Katakas, an obscure but lethal Afghan partner force that accompanies rangers on direct action raids across the country. And this was all obtained through a Freedom of Information Act. Whether it was intentional or accidental is not in the article. Soldiers first to achieve perfect score on new Army fitness test. A Texas-based soldier is the first to ace the Army's new fitness test, recording the first perfect score on an exercise program that will soon be rolled out service-wide. Major Timothy Cox, who served with the 22nd Chemical Battalion at Fort Bliss, scored a 600 on the combat fitness test. This is going to be a cultural change in the Army, Cox said. I think it has been a long time coming. Am I? And I'm excited, because I maxed the motherfucker. Cox first took the ACFT in December and registered a near-perfect 587. Then he hit his goal of 600. He boosted his score in subsequent tests before finally posting the 600 score in mid-July. His effort bested a previous record set in June by Specialist Ryan Souter of the Kentucky National Guard. ACFT will replace the Army physical fitness test. It's been in the works for several years. We've talked about it. The new test puts greater emphasis on strength exercises and includes deadlifts, standing power throws, hand release push-ups, sprint drag carries, leg trucks, and two-mile run. Current fitness test only requires push-up sit-ups and two-mile run. In October, soldiers will be taking two trial tests six months apart. The results won't count, but by fall 2020, it will become the Army official test of record. Cox says, embrace the change, because like it or not, it's coming. And he's a dick. <laughs> yeah. Then this one came up, and this is really troubling. Some children of U.S. troops born overseas will no longer get automatic American citizenship. Uh, according to a policy alert issued by U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. Previously, children born to U.S. citizens were considered to be residing in the United States and therefore would be automatically granted citizenship under the Immigration Nationality Act of Act 320. Now, children born to U.S. service members and government employees, such as those born in U.S. military hospitals or diplomatic facilities, will not be considered as residing in the U.S., changing the way they potentially receive citizenship. The policy change explains that we will not consider children who live abroad with their parents to be residing in the United States, even if the parents are U.S. government employees or U.S. service members stationed outside the United States. As a result, these children will no longer be considered to have acquired citizenship automatically. For them to obtain a certificate of citizenship, the U.S. citizen parents must apply for a citizenship on their behalf. The process under INA 322 must be completed before the child's 18th birthday and I think this is fucking bullshit. Bullshit. 
We're letting fucking illegals in here left and fucking right. They're getting free everything in Democrat states. But service members, kids who are born in Italy or Germany or Korea, they're not citizens now? That's got to be rethought. Then we have another winner, winner, chicken dinner, and it's always Democrats. Yeah. The media went full cover coverage of soldiers having Trump flags on a visit to Afghanistan. Do we remember that? Or was that Iraq? It was Afghanistan. Well, <clears throat> this one didn't make the news. Unit looking into Army major in uniform telling Biden she prays he'll be president. South Carolina National Guard was reviewing whether an officer will face any sort of punishment after she was filmed attending a political rally and endorsing Biden. During a rally Wednesday in Gaffney, South Carolina, Army Major Ginger Tate represented Biden with a challenge coin she made after 2013 deployment of Afghanistan and Afghanistan, inscribed with the names of each city the soldiers under command were posted in the country. I've been saving these coins for six years to meet you and the President, Obama, so this, so this, so that if I ever met you, I would give you this to you, Tate said in the video. And when I saw on the news that you were coming, I just had to be here. I'm so honored to have served under your administration and your leadership, and I hope and pray that you'll be our next president. South Carolina Guard officials confirmed that Tate's unit, the 228th Signal Brigade, was not attendance at the rally. There are specific guidelines for military personnel when it comes to participation in political events, and the South Carolina National Guard follow these guidelines. Army Captain Jessica Donnelly, a spokesman, said, These guidelines state the service members are not to engage in political activities to imply or appear to imply sponsorship, approval, or endorsement of a political candidate while in uniform. Can't speculate on what her chain of command is going to do and how they're going to take it. Staff Sergeant Bradley Mincy, another South Carolina guardsman, spoke, elaborated over the phone. Just right now, they're the ones who will look into the incident. It's really up to her chain of command on what they're doing or what or how serious they're going to take this. Her chain of command and leadership are aware of the incident. However, due to the Privacy Act protection of the records of individual, the South Carolina National Guard is not able to release the specific personal actions that are taken. Yeah. This is no different than under Obama. Right check was lieutenant in the National Guard. He campaigned at the DNC convention. Let a Republican do that. The New York Times, WAPO, CNN, they will go the fuck off. Remember, Jim Acosta almost wet himself over Trump flags. Wet himself. And that takes us to College Crazy. Uncovered emails show University of Kentucky employees mocking conservative students. The University of Kentucky has apologized after a public record request produced emails and instant messages showing employees of the university mocking conservative students' organization application for registered status. According to Young America Foundation, the group tried multiple times over the course of one year to regain registered student organization status, which allows the group to obtain university funding as well as use certain university resources. I'm struggling with this organization, University of Kentucky Assistant Director of Student Organization Caitlin Walsh wrote in the email to the Director of Office of Students Organization Activities. 
Campus reform confirmed the authenticity of the contents of these documents with the University of Kentucky. Meg and I have both spoken with the students and are trying to get the Constitution cleared up. We both feel it's tricky, and we do not like the wording of things, Walsh wrote in the email, apparently referring to the conversation she had with Administrative Support Assistant Meg Jennings, who was included in the email. This organization nationally seems sticky, but the students themselves are kind and have been working hard to get the org started. Walsh wrote later in the same email, five minutes later, Walsh wrote in the same email chain, the requirement to sign the Sharon Statement is what worries me. The Sharon Statement is a statement of conservative principles signed by the group of 100 conservatives, and it said, reference the university non-discrimination policy, which states that members of students' organization must do the whole liberal litmus test. Later in one of the emails, tap dancing, oh Jesus, tap dancing Christ, we can't approve these guys. That's so not surprising. Iowa professor said, I am Antifa is now out of a job. His original tweet, I affirm that I am Antifa. The safety of our students, faculty, and staff is a top concern. We made the decision this morning to identify an instructor who will take over the one course that Mr. Kinsman would have taught in the semester. We spoke to Mr. Kinsman this afternoon about his matter, and we have accepted his resignation. I understand that our decision to remove Kinsman from the classroom may be supported by some and criticized by others. I also understand that in today's climate, some may use this decision to support broader arguments about free speech or college campuses. That's why I want to make clear with you the reasoning behind this decision is Kirkwood leadership assessment that the attention this matter has garnered has potential to create an environment that is disruptive to our mission. Good for them. Good for them. This is another one that he had actually tweeted. This is what our country will come to if we don't stop evangelical Christians. I'm struggling with my feelings after reading the RS story below. Hatred is corrosive and almost nothing good comes out of hating. But I cannot stand how some evangelicals insist that their homophobic bigotry must be not the defining but the only value allowed in public discourse. Reading this story and the discrimination of the evangelical activists who seem to want gay teens to commit suicide reminded me of Ilya Etherman's war poem and how he motivated Soviet soldiers to deal with the German invaders. Kill them all and bury them deep in the ground before millions more are tortured to death. I'm not pretty, it's not pretty, and I'm not proud, but seeing what evangelical Christians are doing to this country and its people fills me with rage and a desire to exact revenge. Didn't get fired for that, though. Just the Antifa. Hmm. Professor, I'm blinded by whiteness. Don't know all what it means to be white or male or a U.S. citizen. Western Connecticut State University Psychologist Department shared its own qualms about being white on Tuesday, claiming the whiteness needs to go away. Daniel Barrett, professor and chair of the school's psychology department, made this claim as other than an op-ed he penned for the Good Men Project. In the piece titled Race Traitor, the professor stated that whiteness needs to go away, claiming that if whiteness is based on the increasing destruction of the environment and the total demolition of values, specifically truth, integrity, honesty, defense of the common good, common sense, love, broadly construed recognition of inherent humanity of others, and so on, then the concept should be allowed to dissolve into oblivion Erode into nothingness. 
I don't know all what it means to be white or male or U.S. citizen, he writes. I need others to tell me. Introspection is self-limiting. Professor proclaimed that he is blinded by his own whiteness. <clears throat> I do not know extent which I have been advantaged, but it is clear that I have. This extensiveness cannot be unpacked because there is no separating what I have earned from what I have been given. Privilege is yet another question which must remain unanswered, yet not unacknowledged. The professor purports that although white has no intrinsic meaning, no import, no value, whiteness has no nation, no culture, no essence, his white identity reverberates to the fabric of his being and his consciousness seemingly without limit. He goes on to insist, even if you wish to not be white, such a desire is not an authentic wish, relating such a sentiment to a queen wishing to be a factory worker and a master wishing to be a slave. Barrett claims that his ability to entertain such question is in and of itself partially derivative from his privilege. A wealthy person is unable to wish to be poor, as it already too late. There is no undoing, he writes, adding that there are no other options. Go kill yourself, dude. Seriously, just go kill yourself. I hate to say that. It's a horrible thing to say, but if you're that hateful of your own presence, yeah, you need to just go kill yourself or become trans. Because that's what trans people do. They hate themselves, so they become an opposite sex trying to find themselves, and then they go back to their original self when they realize cutting their penis off wasn't really smart. But How fucked in the head do you get to think that way? Yes, if you own slaves... If you are part of the KKK, if you're part of Antifa, yeah, you got some guilt, pal. But if you have nothing to do with all those things, and you just happen to be white, well, that's just how it is. And I'm still trying to figure out what my privilege got me. I drive a Jeep, not a fucking Benz. Or a Bentley, for Christ's sake. SAT spikes social justice theme adversity scores. Yeah, the college board, the company that oversees SAT, has decided to drop a planned social justice theme adversity score, according to Tuesday report, because they got massacred for it. Yay, we reported that previously. In the article, we listened to thoughtful criticism made landscape better and more transparent. Landscape provides admission offices... Officers, sorry. More consistent background information so they can fairly consider every student, no matter where they lived or learned. That was never going to work. It just wasn't going to work. If you're going to give a kid 50 points because they're black, what if they're a rich black kid? And they're a poor white kid? It isn't like black people, brown people, people of color, have the goddamn inside shot for poverty. Pretty much everybody does. Fat is a new F word at the Ivy League University. And boom, boom, boom. Tony likes this. Yeah. You fucking shamers. A brand new course at Princeton University invites students to learn about society's stigmatization. Stigmatization. Well, you know what I'm trying to say. I can't get it out early on a Sunday morning. Of the fat body and to consider political and industry-related reasons over medical reasons for being concerned about the alleged obesity epidemic. The title, Fat, the F Word, and the Public Body. The course will be taught by dance professor Judith Hamera, who will lead students in examining how the fat body operates at the conjuncture of political economy, beauty standards, and health. Some deep-ass shit. (laughs) Students will address questions such as, how does this F Word discipline and regulate 
regulates body in as a public. And what is the ideal American public body and who gets to occupy that position? They will also consider the changing history, aesthetics, politics, and meaning of fatness. I know they will do so by use of both dance and performance. The course description assures students that no previous performance experience is necessary. Queering fat embodiment, one of the texts in the course sample reading list, addresses how cultural anxieties and stigmatization of fat bodies have legitimized fat phobia and asserts that fatness, subject to medicalization, pathologization, and commodification, has been paired with moral panic surrounding an obesity epidemic that is claimed is only alleged, according to the Amazon description. Other texts for the course include Geraldo Otera's The Neoliberalist Diet, Healthy Profs, Unhealthy People, a book that rejects mainstream explanations about the American obesity epidemic, such as little exercise and poor food choices, and instead asserts that increased obesity does not result merely from individual food and lifestyle choices, but rather from neoliberal policy that has promoted trade liberalization and retrenchment of the welfare regime, along with continued agricultural studies Subsidy, excuse me, in rich countries. Students will also read Eric Orville's Fat Politics, a book that argues that more than 60 million Americans are mislabeled as being overweight and that the government and health professionals inflate the health risk of being fat. Oliver rejects the premise that losing weight makes people healthier and claims that concern about obesity comes from politics, prejudice, and industry profit. Yeah! I'm all down with all that shit because I'm fucking fat! I did a study on my fatness, and I realized why I'm fat. It's not because progressives. It's not because of Twitter. It's because I sit on my ass and eat food. Lots of it. I'll charge you if you want to go to that class. Stupid asses. Cornell study. Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro infect people with alt-right beliefs. So now they're infecting them. It's like a virus. It's like a bed bug. Oh, we can't say that anymore. Auditing Radicalization Pathways on YouTube, written by five academics, uh, what are the academics for, just being liberals, conclude that channels in the intellectual dark web and the alt-light would be gateways to fringe far-right ideology. The study released August 22nd linked the Daily Wire founder Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, comedian host Joe Rogan, and host David Rubin to fringe racist figures like Richard Spencer and Jared Taylor. The study concluded that YouTube recommender system enables alt-right channels to be discovered, even in a scenario without personalization. For Brazilian researchers, I'm not going to read them, join with Yose University professor Robert West to analyze how many viewers from three different groups on YouTube have moved to watching alt-right content on the platform. The study took 360 YouTube channels and split them into four categories, control, alt-right, alt-light, and the intellectual dark web. The study analyzed 331,849 videos overall and looked at 79 million comments. It found that more than 60K users altogether, or 12% of those analyzed, had been infected from watching alt-right and alt-right and IDW, and were now watching alt-right content. The study found that control channels present lower infection rates. The difference is particularly significant for the last three times brackets. Less than 1% user in control became mildly or severely infected. Some of those channels classified as alt-light include The Blaze, Daily Caller, Stephen Crowder, Blaze Commentary, Laurel Chan, <clears throat> The Ceiling Show, The Tipping Point with Liz Wheeler. Those in the intellectual dark web category included Shapiro, Rogan, Ruben Peterson, Free Speech Advocates, and academic Brett Weinstein. 
podcast host Sam Harrison, the Blaze co-founder Glenn Beck, the Bulwark founder Bill Crystal, the Heritage Foundation, PragerU, everything conservative. Hilariously, the study failed to categorize these outlets in any rational manner, since Crystal is hardly in the same category as Shapiro. Meanwhile, the Heritage Foundation is more of a mainstream conservative organization. Members of so-called IDW have been accused of bigotry, including Islamophobia, transphobia, and sexism, claimed the study. Moreover, a recent report by Data and Society Research Institute has claimed these channels are pathways to radicalizations. I worry more about CNN and MSDNC. We're going to do a study on that. How many people go watch CNN and MSDNC and lose their fucking mind? Because it's happening in our next story. High school bans student after he goes to shooting range with his mom and does a Snapchat photo. 16-year-old student at Colorado High School was informed by the school district Wednesday that he was not allowed to return to class until the school could contact an investigation into an anonymous trip that he had posted threatening content online. In a story that has gained national attention from the conservative site, including Red State, the parent of Junior at Loveland High School learned Wednesday that their son could not appear on campus until the Thompson Valley School District conducted a full investigation into a safe-to-tell anonymous trip prompted by a Snapchat post by their teen son. As reported by Complete Colorado, 16-year-old Nathan Meyer and his mother, Justin Myers, went to a shooting range on Tuesday, a moment that Nathan celebrated by posting a video on Snapchat showing some of the guns they're going to bring, including a handgun and a dreaded weapon of war, fucking death machine AR-15. The caption for the post read, Find me a light. That means, which he explained to complete complete Colorado, just slang used among his peers, meaning he's excited about the chance to go out to the range with his mom. While we were at our house getting ready to go, I took a video of five or six pistols and an AR-15. None of them were loaded; they were all in cases. We had a great day. This is what we do. Nathan has been shooting at many times with us. We are a huge Second Amendment supporter, his mom said. Nathan also posted a video of them on the range. When they returned from shooting, Justin learned from a message left by Nathan's father that police officers had come to the house asking about his initial Snapchat post. His father told them that she was out shooting with me and I'm an avid shooter. So the officer said he wasn't in trouble and left. Though the family thought the issue was settled, the next morning they were informed by the school district that Nathan could not return to class called to ask why I couldn't go, and they said it was a safety concern, but because the student was important, it was scared I was going to shoot up the school. The Myers say Nathan has never had any conflict with other students, enjoys a large circle of friends, and has no criminal record. The Myers threat assessment hearing with TVSD was scheduled for 10 a.m. Thursday. Proca's Second Amendment site, Rally for Our Rights, Leslie Hollywood, reports that she spoke with Justin, as well as two different attorneys who specialize in Second Amendment issues, and found that the school is legally within the rights of this time. According to the attorney, the school has protocol that must be followed when a report of threat comes in through safe to tell. Complete Colorado notes, however, the Colorado-based pro-Second Amendment organization Rocky Mountain Gun Owners posted on Facebook that it would supply the family with legal representation and the student's story bears out as first reported. Complete Colorado reached out to Weld County Sheriff Steve Reams to get his reaction to the situation. After sending him the Snapchat post with no context, the outlet asked Reem for his interpretation of the post. He said he thought it would just seem like a kid excited to go to a firing range. 
when he learned what the school district response, he expressed disbelief. This is exactly the mechanics of the red flag law, Reams told the outlet. Someone filed an anonymous complaint without the other person knowing it was being filed, but instead of him being deprived of his Second Amendment rights, he's being deprived of his ability to go to school without due process. The teen simply exercises First Amendment right to use his Second Amendment right, Reams added. I hope this doesn't make him fear that in the future. Yeah. That is why we gun owners don't trust you libs. This is what you do. He's going to a gun range and you put him on blast. Really? Really? This goes with the NBC story. It's how liberals want to go after guns. They can't get the laws they want to pass. So their theory is, well, fuck you. We're going to go, you're a psycho. You don't get a gun. You you shoot with your parents. Your parents are fucking terrible parents. You know, that's liberal logic. Showing your kids how to safely use firearms so they'll never hurt themselves or others and actually not be afraid of guns and do something stupid. You're a horrible parent. At four years old, give your kids fucking the opposite hormones and turn them into some fucking thing they got off a goddamn cartoon that I'm now transgender. Yeah. Parents of the year. Fucking pieces of shit. Which takes us to our gay stuff. Gay stuff! I'd actually do a bumper. I thought about that once, but yeah, that's probably homophobic or something. Somebody will be offended. Shush! Media downplay MIT study finding no gay gene. International research team has just published a controversial genetic study that claims that it is impossible to use genes to predict someone's sexuality. <clears throat> idea that homosexualities are born born that way. However, media sites reporting on the issue were quick to downplay the study's implication, insisting that either way, same-sex sexual behavior is simply a natural part of our diversity as a species. Both the Washington Post and New York Times ran more or less the same story and employed the same cover for researchers who were reluctant to publish the material for fear that it could be used to bolster bias. The international team of researchers led by geneticists from the Brood Institute at MIT and Harvard analyzed the genetic data of 478,000 men and women from a large British database, the UK Biobank. The researcher touted by the Washington Post as providing one of the clearest pictures of genes and sexuality reported no one gene determines sexual orientation, though there are five genetic variants that were statistically associated with same-sex behavior. However, none of those variants had a large effect and none were predicted could predict same-sex behaviors. The only change or influence these variants have are when they are in the combination with thousands of others in human genome that have smaller extents. The gen- genetic cocktail could account for 8 to 25% of sexual orientation. The rest of the influence means 75% or higher comes from social or environmental factors. Yeah. The New York Times clarified saying that it's impossible to use genes to predict sexual sexuality, though that sounds a little different than the Times misleading headline, many genes influence same sexuality, not a single gay gene. Those are the findings, but they don't find fit the paper's agenda. Would lefty rags would you ever admit that homosexuality may just be a lifestyle choice egged on by increasing degenerative society? Certainly not the Post, which soft-pedaled the finding via a quote by Dr. Eric Villian, director of the Genetic Center for Genetic Medicine Research and Children National Health System, claiming that it proves that genetic factors are we suspected long ago, but they don't tell the whole story. Yeah, they don't tell the story you want to talk about. 
The research shows that homosexual behavior is predicted by social and environmental factors way more than by nature. It's right there. Yet NYT's second full paragraph featured Neil's quote that I hope that science can be used to educate people a little bit more about how natural and normal same-sex behavior is. This article is going to say what I want to say. There's no natural genetic predictor of sexuality, so it would only be about a normal as society says it is. And that's what it's about. No. It's not normal. You can do it. Do whatever the fuck you want, but it's not normal. Naturally normal. It's not naturally normal. I don't care if a couple fucking penguins hump each other. And what better way to illustrate how normal it is by Washington Post feature takeaway from GLAD, the Hollywood gay lobby, on the issue. The paper quoted the group's chief program officer, Zeke Stokes, saying that research provide even more evidence that being gay or lesbian is part of a natural is a natural part of human life. What research are you looking at? Muddying the water even further, Stokes claimed that reconfirms that there is no conclusive degree to which which to which nature or nurture influence being gay. Oh well, it's definitely clear that nature has much less to do with it. That's for sure. We've talked about this on the show. We broke down that big initial one by Harvard, and it showed the majority of kids that turned tran or gay were in a household that had same-sex representation. Simultaneously, more of them in that group had committed suicide, used drugs, illicit sex, tried to have it, or turned transsexual. It was their environment. Totally their environment. Girls volleyball coach rejects school district transgender inclusion policy. In my opinion, it's very irresponsible. Girl volleyball coach in Hawaii is standing up to the Hawaii High School Athletic Association policy allowing male students to participate in female sporting activities so long as they self-identify as the opposite gender. According to LifeSide News, HHSAA adopted a policy in 2017 declaring that students are presumed eligible to participate if they think they are. Uh, school and girl team uh, sending okay. So earlier this month, the policy culminated in a biological suiting up for the Kamela School Maui girls team at the volleyball opener in Pulaski. Though most officials associated with HHSAA either supported the students' inclusion or declined to comment on it, one girls volleyball coach who wished to remain anonymous told Maui News. The league puts young women at an elevated level of risk. In my opinion, it's very irresponsible for a league to place these young women who are minors in an elevated level of risk. They all sign off on an assumption of risk form for understandable amount of risk. Now there's an elevated risk level of risk their daughters are going through and being put through without any notification to the parent at all. The coach added that he takes no issue with the boys wanting to be whom he wishes and only cares about the girls' safety. I have no problem with the kids being who they want to be. But now these girls are being put in an unsafe situation without giving the parents the opportunity to make an educated decision on whether they want their daughter in that position. Other athletic officials were less honest about the boys suiting up for an all-female game, which he did not play this time around. I'm not going to say anything about our transgender athlete, because if I do, I'll lose my fucking job, which is not in the article. Yeah. 
This is going on all over the country. Nobody is covering it. Latest court rules in Idaho refusing transgender surgery for inmates is cruel and unusual. Because now they want the taxpayers to finance sex reassignment surgeries. The governor, Brad Little, the hardworking taxpayers of Idaho should not be forced to pay for convicted sex offenders' gender reassignment surgery when it's a contrary to the medical opinion of treating physicians and multiple mental health professionals. Yeah. That didn't make the news. That's not there. This one was BC site. Heterosexually, sex, heterosexuality just not working. But Miley Cyrus has the answer. Miley Cyrus is a vanguard of feminist thought. Pity feminism. Cyrus, of course, blah, blah, blah. I don't give a fuck. <clears throat> it was surely a blow to romantics everywhere, but not Mario Banco, lesbian feminist who writes for NBC distinctly unthoughtful think site. Bianco's August 16th piece celebrated, celebrated Cyrus and actress Julian Ho for making public announcements about sexuality in the way that puts the power and responsibility back in their own hands. In other words, they dig chicks. That was huge. Fuck the patriarchy. Eat clam. That's the basic surmise of that. (laughs) Okay, that was crude. But it was funny. Come on. CNN takes us into our climate crazy. Yeah, I should have just a section for that. Should be people just screaming, The planet's on fire! For those wondering how they could help save the rainforest, the answer may be simple. Eat less meat. Followed by pictures of the rainforest. Followed by Emmanuel Macron. Our house is burning. Oh my God, there it is. Literally, the Amazon rainforest, the lungs which produce 20% of our planet's oxygen, is on fire. It's an internal crisis. Members of the G7 Summit, let's discuss this emergency. First order in two days. Here's the problem. A, reasons, not a conservative website. Don't panic. Amazon burning is mostly farms, not forests. B, New York Post, sums up what everybody did this week. If you're part of the Planets on Fire crowd. Celebs keep posting misleading photos of the Amazon wildfire to social media. Cristiano Ronaldo, Joe Hansen, Leonardo DiCaprio, they all did it. It took NASA coming in and saying, yeah, that's not, those pictures aren't real. And NASA saying, this is normal fires, this happens in the Amazon. It's nothing new, it's nothing major, but... These people are unrelenting. How do I know that? Articles like this. If McDonald's is serious about reducing its carbon footprint, it may need to rethink the hamburger. Yeah, McDonald's shouldn't sell hamburgers, even though they're a hamburger joint. Next article. Inside the race to build the burger of the future, President Trump says Democrats and environmental wackos are waging a war on beef, but corporations are not politicians or activists, are leading the post-meat revolution, and they couldn't name you a decent burger that was a burger. Then we do a little digging, and you find this. Why giving up meat won't have much effect on a greenhouse, on, excuse me, effect on climate change. 
Going vegetarian will reduce a person's greenhouse gas emissions by around 2%. Two. So you just stay away from the meat. But they can't. Hold on a second. I got one last one before I can make my point. Wall Street Journal. It's okay. Don't cook. This approach is surprisingly healthy and better on the climate. Raw diet. Yeah. Just go raw. Don't cook shit. Everything should be raw. 2%. 2%. Listen up, moon bats. <clears throat> Unless there's a new vegetarian crop that miracles its ass into my refrigerator, we're still going to use carbon to harvest it, plant it, water it, and then truck its ass into my mouth. That's all gas. That's how it works, okay? So unless we all start gardening in our front yard and we only eat that, and somehow we invent our own seeds and don't drive to go get it. And we don't water it because that takes water to get water to my fucking faucet. You're still burning carbon. <clears throat> I think you guys should just stick to your... Keep your house at 190 degrees in the summer. And minus 50 in the winter and don't have any electricity. That probably would be a better argument because my fat ass is going to be eating burgers, okay? This is the way it's going to be. It's going to be meat product, chicken, beef. It, it all takes carbon. Those chicken just don't fly into my kitchen, de-fucking feather, and chop themselves up. People do that for me, and then I eat it. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Which brings us to our climate activist dipshit, Greta Thunberg. Now, at least she's trying on this. I'll give her some credit. It doesn't really help the carbon footprint, but I'll give her credit. She sailed to New York to avoid contributing to climate change. There's just one problem. Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old climate activist, arrived in New York City on Wednesday after sailing across the Atlantic on a yacht with solar panels and wind turbines. Forget the fact that the carbon is emitted during the construction of the yacht and solar panels. CBS News reported the yacht had no kitchen, no heating, no fridge, and no bathroom. Thunberg took the yacht to raise awareness about the harmful emissions caused by commercial airlines. Oh yeah, those are fucking the devil. But even though Thunberg and her crew sailed across the Atlantic using the yacht... It still had to get back. For that, the sailing team for the yacht known as the Mazala 2 will be flown across the Atlantic to retrieve the vessel. Associated Press reported the two members of the team Mazalata will, I'm fucking its name up, I don't know how to say it, will be flown to the U.S. to retrieve the boat and will pay to offset the flight carbon emissions. A spokesman for Team Mazalada said it will be necessary to fly the crew to the U.S. because the high-profile trip of the 16-year-old Swedish campaigner that led Pl left Plymouth on Wednesday was arra arranged at very short notice. The spokesman, Holly Kova, told the AP in an email that we only have one boat, so they cannot easily sail over to meet them, she said. This was an imperfect solution, but thought that the offsetting the flights to retrieve the boat was better than doing nothing. German news outlet Der Spiegel reported that four flights are required to get team members to the U.S. to retrieve the boat and for other crews to return. 
Four flights would also be incurred if Swedish climate activist Thunberg and her father had flown from Europe to the special climate summit in New York and back instead of sailing with the racing yacht Mazda 2, the outlet reported. To offset the carbon emissions created by the flights, the team is paying organizations to use them to finance climate-friendly projects and thus save emission, the old carbon footprint. But the Daily Wire's Emily Zanotti reported that celebrities and activists took more than 1,500 private jets to attend a posh climate summit. All of you are hypocritical fuckheads. Go suck a bag of dicks. Not a dick. A whole bag. <clears throat> Homophobic? Maybe. It's a bag of dicks. That's so like attached to a person. Crude? Yes. Totally crude. I'm for it. Liz Smith then brings us some more of this stupid-ass shit. If you ever wondered what golf ball-sized hail sounds like when it hits a hot tin roof in El Paso, asked and answered, time for a climate president like Pete Buttigieg. Because, yeah, we never had big hail, ever. It's the carbon. It's gas farts going up into the atmosphere and clinging to water molecules that make big pieces of fucking hail. In fact, if you really want to blame it, it's probably me. I'm sure I fart more than that fucking cow. And I direct my ass to the sky to make those big ice pellets so that they'll hit Pete Buttigieg on the head. Yeah, that's really how it's going down. And then, of course, it's the time of year. We covered a couple podcasts ago about they took uh, spam and went way too far with, you know, pumpkin spice. Well, now, it's fucking racist, dude. Seriously. Washington Post. Democracy dies in stupid. Your pumpkin spice latte is a bloody imperialist brew. Washington Post wants you to feel bad about your pumpkin spice latte and not because of the calories or because of swishy, effeminate beverage that would never do for pasties. The drink just isn't woke enough. The spices in PSL have a dark history, write Jillian Brockville in the paper's Retropolis, se- Retropolis section. Particularly nutmeg. It's a story of war, genocide, and slavery. Hmm, sounds like the work of some nasty Europeans. Brockwell explains that the variety of nutmeg we're familiar with is native to the Banda Islands in which what is now Indonesia. It got popular in Europe and Asia, and Bandanese became rich trading the spice along with mace and cloves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Come of the age of colonialism, succession of powers, the Portuguese, Dutch, and English came and worked their spoils upon the Bundanese and their spice trade. The real bad guys of the story are the Dutch who turned up in 1599 all rapacious and ready to do some exploiting. The Bandanese I didn't write this article but it was really funny. That the Bandanese signed contracts agreeing to trade only with the Dutch according to Brocknell, although she says it's unclear if they understood what they were agreeing to. See, they were probably a communal society, maybe even a matriarchy ruled by wise and just women unused to European corrupt commercial arrangements. They ignored the contracts anyway, continued to trade with whomever they always had, plus a new partner on the scene, the English. Bad idea. In 1621, Dutch Governor General Jan Petzerzoon Cohen led 2,000 troops on assault on the Bandanese, writes Brockdale. 
Their leaders were beheaded and their wealthy were enslaved and sent overseas. The remaining inhabitants fled into the mountains for over following months nearly all met one of three fates. They were murdered in Dutch attacks, starved to death, or jumped off cliffs in despair. So you go ahead and save your PSL. Just remember that your sweet, frothy, and oh-so-decadent pick-me-up was originally an imperialist witch brew of noble indigenous blood and base European greed. Fucking liberals, man. You fucking people ruin everything. Now, I'm not a pumpkin spice guy. I like pumpkin bread, pumpkin pie. I don't drink pumpkin spice, but... Why do you got to shit on pumpkin spice? Seriously? You had to do a lot of research just to dog something. The, the funny thing is, liberal fucktards all over this goddamn country right now are going, fucking pieces of shit, and we're going to have an article eventually. Somebody gets assaulted for drinking a pumpkin spice. Because they're a fascist. Couple few articles and we'll go into a lighter fare. This is Cheryl Atkinson. The takeaway? The New York Times says it's mapping out a narrative in advance of any natural occurring true news event and plans to shape all natural occurring true news event so they are reported in the context of racism. This is what they believe their readers want. This is in reference to their Barack, their um, plan to make Trump a racist. Well, she wrote that in coverage because the New York Times is now Working with Obama, so Netflix shows will have racism in them. I just want to remind everybody, we were told that Obama was working with Netflix in a non-political way. Yeah. We knew it was bullshit. We all did. Which brings us to the latest outrage on the left. Friends hasn't aged well. Friends, 25th anniversary is in September, but there's the thing. This show was always awful. This is a huge article on BuzzFeed breaking down individual episodes about inappropriate shit now when it was from the 90s. We've done a lot of these on the show because this is what they do. They go back and find fucking Seinfeld. Everything is racist if you look at it as racist. So now we're dogging Friends. I wasn't a friend's guy. When I was stuck in my trailer in the Mojave, I watched all, whatever, 11 seasons or whatever the fuck it was. And it was okay. I was super bored, so I just watched it. But it was okay. I wouldn't say it was the greatest show ever. But really, you know, taking everything through the lens of current day. Jesus, everything we're doing now in 10 years will be ist or obed. I mean, come on. Everything. And it won't just be pumpkin spice. Fucking peppermint mocha Starbucks. Oh, you'll be a fucking goddamn ableist or some shit. That they're handicapped people had to grab the peppermint leaves or who the fuck knows. Our last story. Didn't have a lot of crime this time. This one's pretty fucking horrible. Woman took a kid to Kentucky Walmart and left them behind. Now she's being arrested. A woman who abandoned six children at Walmart in Adair County was later found and arrested in Pulaski County, police said. Amanda Gennardes, 33 of Somerset, took six children, two of whom were hers, to Walmart in Columbia on Friday and told them to find a worker to talk to. 
Columbia's police said. Police said she tried to retrieve a MoneyGram transfer and then started to leave the store. When three of the children tried to follow her out, police said Jernanda stopped, turned back, and made them go back inside. Police said the kids aged from 6 to 11. Holy shit. You're a piece of shit mother. Wow. Wow. We're going to go into our lighter fare now. It is a soundbite of New Texas. It's in a foreign language. I know it is. I'm doing it on purpose to tell you that if you're not into reading, you should be, because this is a great show. Je hebt er nu waarom dat ik u niet wat mee pakken en dat zoet als hier. En je zult u wel afvragen waarom dat je hier bent. Verderfenis. Uw vader Zaliger had wel één voorwaarde: dat jullie met z'n allen gedurende een jaar onder één dak samenwonen. We hebben vroeger als kind ook samen gewoond, niks aan. Toch? Verdubbelen! Mama wilde maar twee dingen: vrije en eten. Je zou ook wel eens in mijn Olympia mogen buiten Stroomboten! I have a dream! Een wifi-bad met een Bluetooth-USB-radio in. Eeuw! Eeuw! Oh boy. Ah. Oh hè? We zitten dan toch naar rechter, Frank. Zijn jullie nu echt niet in staat om jullie problemen als volwassenen op te lossen? Wat een wakko familie is hij er eigenlijk? Gast! Liever geen villa, jongen, dan een villa te moeten delen met een verrader. Dit was toch weer al goed bij ons kloten, hè? This show is really funny. You can get this for free on Amazon. And even though it's subtitled, it's like an Italian family. They're living in another country. And what the general synopsis is that they have a father. They're a bunch of fucking Wahoo sons. And his dying wish is that, okay, they're going to be able to have everything I own as long as I live together in one year in this house. It's worth, you know, quite a bit of money. And then you follow the journey of them living in this house. And I don't want to ruin it, but it's just hilarious. I mean, it's one of the funniest shows I've watched in a long time. Even though I speak in English, it's just really funny. And they just call it New Texas because that's the mansion that they can win as long as they live together for a year. So it's only 10 episodes, 30-minute episodes. If you're bored, plow through it. It's hilarious. The other one was Trapped that we talked about for the soundbite. If you haven't watched Trapped, you really should. It's a dark, dark show. But the main act, uh, main actor, man, he's like a big bear of a man. There's just something about his acting that you just kind of, you get into the show. It's really good. And uh, listening, speaking Icelandic is just fucking awesome. Two funnies from Zach in Tennessee. Number one, I have a, as a woman and a man laying in bed. I have a confession. I used to be a Christian. That's the woman. The man says, doesn't worry me, babe. Next picture, the man's face like, what the fuck? And then the woman goes, awesome. I much I much prefer being Christine. 
<laughs> Some tranny humor is always funny. The second one he sends me is a little girl in front of a, a freaking computer screen. Liberals, young people make poor, rash decisions. Let's raise the smoking age to 21. Also, liberals, my four-year-old grandson says he's a girl, so we're transitioning him. And that, boys and girls, is just truth. Good one, Zach. That is just truth, man. It makes no goddamn sense. Same time, they want them to vote, but they can't drink and own guns. And the myriad of things that they say they can't do because they're too young, but they can vote at 16. Yeah. But you can't have a rifle at 16. Okay. We're there. I had two... This is America. The first one's a horrible picture from um, Georgia, Georgia, the country of Georgia. And it shows a lady literally walking up and stabbing a kid in the eye. It's fucking vicious. Just mean as fuck. Um, But then my wife had sent me this, and I tried to slip it in last podcast. I couldn't. It's really long. But this is a New York Port Authority, Port Authority Counselor. Or commissioner, sorry. Fucking it all up. Let's try it again. This is a New York Port Authority commissioner talking to cops. She's white. She was appointed by Chris Christie. And her conduct got her fired. She had to resign. Her resignation was horrible. It was another one of those. It was just like a liberal resignation. Basically saying, well, even though I didn't do anything wrong, I'm going to quit. Just for the betterment of everything. But this is what our society has turn into thanks to Obama, BLM, Democrats, and the race hustling industry. People treat cops like shit. This cop right here should get an award because there's no way I could put up with this lady's bullshit. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. I got the strap. Hey. So then could that be done from the lot? Like, I mean, is there probably a lot no, you can take this check remotely. I've done it before in Illinois, so I'm not sure what... I, have, I can only tell you New Jersey. I have no idea about... I, if I told you something, it might be completely incorrect. You, you, you New Jersey, I can tell you 100% out, like, what, what the process. I have no idea what's about. You're going to have to call their DMV. Right. Unfortunately, not till Monday. It's the holiday weekend, so... All right. So you guys are all set. So what do we need? How do we get the car back? Valid registration, valid insurance card. But how do they know that this is her car? Like, don't you need to give us a receipt or something? Like, how are they going to know that this one? This is a receipt. This goes on file. Hi, I'm Karen Turner. Hi, it's Naira. I'm a resident. Here you go. It's fine. We don't, it's I, don't, I don't need that. Okay, fine. I'm you're, Karen you're Turner. Just here to, you're just here as the ride, right? No, I'm not. Okay. I'm here as a concerned citizen and friend okay. of the mayor and okay. been in Tenafly for 20 years. I take full responsibility for them. And what is the reason they were pulled over? The driver has all the information. He'll tell you. No, 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 no. I need to know. No, you don't need to know. Okay. We're not involved here. You're picking them no, up. No, no, no. I'm involved. Trust okay. me. Well, I'm, I'm not going involved. to tell you. He's the driver of the automobile. He's over 18. 
That's all you need to know. Um, Okay, okay. If you can... We don't need to see credentials. Okay, okay. We've I, you, need a, you need a... If you can give me a little bit of space here. Who is this? Are I'm you a commissioner? I am a commissioner. One okay. of the commissioners, and I'm heading up... Do you have an ID for with that? That is my ID, and that is my business card. I am the commissioner of the Port Authority, and I'm heading up over 4,000 police officers. Okay, so if there's a problem, I think I have... There's no problem. Well, I think there's a problem. It's an unregistered vehicle. Okay, let's hear, what is, why were they pulled over, first of all? Miss. Now, don't call me Miss, I'm Commissioner. Thank you. Commissioner, yes. all due why respect. Why were they pulled over? All due respect. Yep. Why the they driver pulled over? No, 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 I need yes, to know. Yes, the car's getting towed now. Why is the car getting towed? Go ask him. No, no, I'm asking. You're the person who ordered it, and trust me. Miss, this does not involve you 1%. Yeah, it does. It does. It does, because I'm picking them up, and no, I'm offering fine. to take responsibility for them, and you can't even tell me the charges. I'm also an attorney. So That's I fine. think if you can't tell me, what is the problem? That's fine. Why is it such a difficulty to say why they're being pulled over and why the car's yes. being towed? Because everything has already been explained. I know, but I know. Why, why, do you, why do you need to know? Because this is impacting me because I got four people who are coming back to my house, including people who live in New Haven attending Yale Graduate School, a Ph.D. student, and I don't know why it's so difficult to say what the problem is. This is impacting me. On Easter Sunday, i got to take four people I'll, I'll be honest, back to New I'll Haven. I'll be honest with you. Should I be frank you with you? Yeah, I want to know what the problem is. It's more of the way you just approached me and, the, and your demeanor. You know what? Okay. That's, I, I'm, I'm being honest I with you. I want to know why. I, I just don't appreciate your demeanor. I don't You're appreciate You're being very demanding with me. No, I'm asking you, have, you a question which is not being answered. But it doesn't need to be answered. It's irrelevant. Okay. You know what? If you'd like you to read my report, you can come down to the police department records on Monday and you can get a copy of it. And you can I am under... Un there is no... You have no I'm right sorry, to know what's going on. No, I do. So, explain to me why. Because these are four people that I have You're to take responsibility. Why do you have to They're all adults. That's my daughter. And she has. And she's these a are her passenger. friends. She's a backseat passenger. And there's a she problem with you describing it because you don't feel confident. Why? Why these people are being pulled over? Your daughter over has not been summoned. She was not the driver. This is not her vehicle. It's not your vehicle. I'm How sorry, are you but this is not going to be... If you have a problem explaining what the problem is and why their car is being confiscated, then we have a problem. And trust me, I will be in with the commissioner of police of Tenafly. It take will a step be. back. Take a step if back. You can't me, even describe what take, the problem is. Take a step back from me. I can't move back any farther. I keep moving back farther, and you okay. keep moving closer to me. Because you can't can you even take a step back? put a sentence together on what back. the problem is. Because I'm not because of the, your demeanor. No, I came I'm in under very no nicely. legal obligation to okay. tell you. And I'm under okay. no legal obligation to tell you what I will be doing. But, but I will. You can do whatever you okay. would like to do. We've been, she's been, you. This is a lawful motor vehicle stop. You are here to pick them up. Okay? Okay. There's going to be a report. Yep. The driver be has been advised of everything that's going on. Okay. I was there the for your graduation when you guys came in, in the camp, and it wasn't that long what ago. What graduation? What are you talking about? Okay. Okay. What, what graduation Thank when I came into much. the town? Thank you very much. Thank and Catherine. Thank you for have your nice information day. and help. You know what? I hope you have a really nice holiday weekend, too, because you just ruined it for a lot of people.
without I, I even the decency. No, I didn't ruin anything. Yeah, I was doing you did. My job. Yeah, you did. I, I would just this hope you being Easter, a commissioner this is their Passover, that you would understand the job police officers have to do. But. There is no explanation. How can I understand? You, you don't didn't even have ask the him. decency. You didn't even no, ask I'm him. asking you because you're the one that's making the report a problem stating it. I'm going to the I don't report. appreciate the way you approached me, the way you demanded information, the way I'm you're, you're I'm stating based you. off of your, I'm your, asking your you. position I'm asking in another you. agency, I'm asking whatever it you. may be. I mean, you have a business card with credentials. I don't know you. I just met you a minute ago. You have no I official so identification. Louis, you know Louis, what's his name, Schmaradovsky? What does that have to do with anything? Well, I'm just telling you who I am. I've been in the town for 20 years, and as a courtesy, I would like to understand the rationale for their being pulled over and their car confiscated. This is a courtesy. I don't know why it's I, difficult. I believe you, know you should ask your daughter you and the driver of the motor vehicle. My daughter is a backseat passenger, as you exactly. said. Exactly. You're making the accusation. I would like to know. What accusation? The accusation of I don't know what. You haven't told me. You're telling me to go Monday and read the report. No, that's when not these what kids said. You said ask them. It's not they, it's not them. I'm not going to ask the driver what you are accusing them of wrongdoing. I'm asking you because you're the source of the accusation. They are not the source, you're the source. So I'm trying to go to the source. If you want me to go to their side of the story, I, I will. I think but that's I the best will thing. do that. I think it's the I best will, thing at this point. You know what? I'm very disappointed in the way the two of you are acting. You cannot even tell me a mother living in Tenafly for 20 years with two kids who went through the school system, what the problem is. And that's shocking. It's shocking that you can't well, even give me a sense. I think no. we should so conclude this. I will. Just for safety absolutely. reasons, this is a high-speed road. I think we should all get off of the road. It's you a little bit dangerous for I'm us being so out here as sorry. long as we were Thank anyway. Thank you for your concern with my safety. Okay. I don't need it. You can't put a sentence together. Sorry. Okay. That's pathetic. Okay. And you are a disappointment. And you are just following him. So you are also a disappointment. Okay. You can't put together a sentence of what the are, problem is. Are you finished is. now? Are you finished, ma'am? I'm shocked. Are I'm you shocked and very okay. disappointed. You, you, Thank you, you may for your take help. Them. You may okay. take them now. You may not tell me when to take my child. You may shut the f*** up and not tell me when I may take my kids and her friends, okay. who are PhD students from MIT and Yale. Okay. You may tell me nothing, because you've told me nothing. Shame on both of you. Okay. Okay. I will be talking to the chief of police, Please. and I will be speaking to the mayor. Badge number and 540. Not, I got your name. I got your name. Just to make sure there's I know no discrepancy. There's no discrepancy. is the first no, name. Don't you worry. As long as you got all the information right. I got all your information, okay. sweetheart. You can't put a sentence together. That's shameful. Okay. That's okay. shameful. Have a pleasant uh, weekend. You have a wonderful right. weekend. You're going to Shame on you. Shame on you. Have a pleasant day. Have a nice day. Take care now. You are not a nice person. And Thank five you. people...
crying, to ruin their Easter, to ruin their Passover. You've got someone, an investment banker in there from London. You've ruined it. They were just going for hype, and you can't even say, I hope you're very happy because you seem to have a smug-ass look on your face, and you seem to be I don't know why it's so hard to say what the reason is or where the car will be. Why? You work with police officers, right? Yeah, I work with 4,000 of them. I'm just a little bit disappointed that. You don't get to be disappointed in me. You don't seem like a very very big police no. supporter. I don't know. You no. think you would have more of an inside uh, look at the job. No, but... This caught me by surprise based off your demeanor a little bit. Yeah, okay. Using inappropriate words and yeah. such. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what, Matt? This isn't going to go down nicely. Okay. You're not a nice person. Okay. And it's really hard for me to understand why you can't say the problem is they don't have this or they do have that. Two sentences. He was, That's he was not I the asked you. The driver couldn't have been any nicer. I asked you. They're all crying in there. The driver could have been nicer. They, I don't care about the driver being nice or not nice. I asked you, and you can't even put a sentence together. That's a problem. Because of the way you approach me and your no, demeanor. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Exactly you can't put, with you. Matt, you've got a chance to put it together now, but you can't put the sentence together well, now, other than say you're disappointed. I'm Well, go to Rustin. You can go to whoever you'd like to go to. That's, it's irrelevant to me. Okay. I'm doing my job. Okay. I've done nothing uh, inappropriate. Okay. And if I go and say, what's the address and what do we have to do? That's inappropriate, too. You need to tell me for that, too. I don't know why you're yeah. coming over to a vehicle that's lawfully being impounded. Because I want to know I where know it's going. Doing. The driver was advised where it's going, as was your I'm daughter. Not. Your daughter was very nice as well. She asked, and I told her. Guess what? I'm not so nice. And uh, you can tell okay. that to everybody. And it's fine. Okay. And I've been, and the police have all been in my home, and in my second home, and in the third home in Santa Claus. I don't see how that's relevant, but to this Very smart, I know. Very smart. Maybe you need a few more tattoos That lady's a fucking piece of shit. Gee, many crickets. Looking at the time, I'm really surprised. I didn't think this was going to be a three-hour podcast, but once again, I'm over three hours. Sorry about that, folks. I threw some stuff together and sat on it and added a little more here and there, and here we are. But but uh, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Fop podcast gmail.com. Hey! Denmark, what the fuck, dude? Or dudette? Send me an email. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. So that I don't screw up this week, I'm going to shoot for a Thursday podcast. That would be the 5th of August, Year of Our Lord 2019. Hoping I knock it out on Wednesday. But I should be able to knock it out this week. I don't have as much stuff. Last week, Got away from me. If you're living in the South, one more week, man. I'm hoping next week this weather changes. I just hope it does. It has just been stanky all fucking summer. For those of Florida, be safe. Hoping that the track doesn't go as ugly as they're saying it's going. And uh, for the rest of you up north, enjoy fall. Because I know my daughter lives in North Dakota and they already got fall temperatures. That would be freaking amazing right now. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah-yeahs. And tune in th- Thursday. I promise. Thursday. 
for another exciting episode of Flower Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.